JC always looks way more professional than any of us. But maybe, maybe just for me. Uh, I don't want to criticize you, Tony, but... Uh, man, my setup is garbage, man. You know this. You're in a box and JC's in like a music studio down the road or something. Why does it look so professional? Where did you... I've never actually asked you, where did you get your mic from? Uh, you know what? I've actually had this for years. Uh, this was off like something like Cats of the Day. And like there was an M Audio USB producer mic, and there was like a mixer and something else that came together as a bundle. And I've just used this mic ever since as a stand, uh, you know, a standard mic, and you know, it's, it's lasted the test of time. It was quite cheap. But what's the so, brand? M M Audio. M Audio. Audio. So. I feel like an upgrade. I'm kind of jealous that I invited Tony onto the podcast, and he's got a better mic than me already. Ooh. Look at this, man. <laughs> You should have got it Prime oh. Day, baby. Prime Day. Wow. <laughs> it's got Very like a whole. Uh, what, what, what do I call it? I call it like an anti-pop. But what's the actual name for it? The pop filter. Pop filter. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, professional podcasters. <laughs> just throw money your, at problems. You know how it is. This is not your podcast, so I'm just going to turn up the volume here. <laughs> Enough of that. <laughs> hey, I see that so, uh, your beard is nice and clean. What have you been doing? Oh, okay, okay. Are we up? <laughs> Wait, was that sarcastic? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I've been genuine, why, but you know. The only reason why I say this is because I was saying to Tony before, when he, when we're, just before we started recording, that like I'm feeling a little bit scruffy today. I was like, excuse <laughs> me, okay? You don't start my podcast with the insults. It's all, it's all love. It's all love, River. Thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, I still got the line, I guess. The line? Yeah. What do you mean the line? Can y'all see that? Shh. Oh, you did that on purpose. Damn. I just, I just let whatever happened happen, man. <laughs> so. <laughs> hey, hey, Tony. By the way, I gotta ask you: How was that overly cooked steak? No. <laughs> the overly cooked steak? Which, what do you mean? I saw it on your Instagram story. Which one? Like the I don't know the ribs was it ribs you, you did a bunch of ribs. oh yeah I did a bunch of ribs today oh, it's yeah. a bit dry man it's a bit dry I did a pork belly and I did a beef rib and like the thing is I'm trying to like so I'll try and be quick I have a small smoker I now have a large smoker and I can't make the large smoker work for me it's just it's just not making good stuff so I'm I'm, I'm getting real sad about it when am I getting invited to these things man when I figure it out man I don't want to give you this like what I cooked today I would be embarrassed. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be guinea pig. Oh yeah, okay. In that case, yeah, soon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, if I'm you're alright with man. like average stuff, because like my little one, I do good stuff, but my big one, I just can't figure this out. So Weber Smoky Mountain, anyone out there into smoking? Smoking Mountain. You into smoking meats, uh, JC? No, I'm not. I'm not that uh, professional in that respect. What? Just, just cook it, I mean, and I'll just eat it. Come on, man. Smoke barbecue, I'm a guy. Yeah. But, you know, I, I don't have the time. I'm just going to eat smoke. Yeah, I'm just going to cook it and eat it. Cook it and eat it? Okay. Cook it, yeah. Yeah, this took like seven hours, so I yeah, can see where like, the feeling comes I don't from. Have the patience. <laughs> seven hours, man. Just invite me in the last hour. I'm there. I'll come with a pack of beers. And... Yeah. yeah, it would be hard to do like the entire seven hours, I tell you. I <laughs> uh, love, love smoke meats. Actually, you know, I booked 
uh, a restaurant for my partner's birthday. So we're going to go to Sina Smoky Sue's. It's no. over in, uh, where is it? Maribor. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm. Wait, it, it, does he listen to this? Because, uh, like... yeah. Well, oh, uh, then you, that means you're going <laughs> to, you're going to ruin the surprise. I know. I know. Shh. Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> anyway, um, welcome back, everybody. And I, I'm just saying welcome back to you guys because I don't know if anybody actually comes back to listen to the podcast. <laughs> welcome back yeah, to listen. We never stay yeah. on topic, right? We just go off and we talk about our own things. So Yeah, talk about life a little bit, talk about something inspirational, try and motivate people to get out of their beds. Go see um, a movie. Yeah, that's part of the game. That's part of the gamut. Um, we review, we recap, and break down everything in movies and TV series. If it's your first time here, welcome. You are in a very special spot, listening to three of the greatest voices in movie reviews and recaps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. See, 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 see. No, honestly, you won't regret it. I think we're we're in for a really uh, exciting podcast today. We're reviewing and recapping. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Um, it's been a long time coming, Wakanda Forever. Uh, unfortunately, coming off of the heels of the untimely and most people would say unfair death of Chadwick Boseman in 2020. So this is a good two years later that they finally put the film out. Um, you know, some, do you guys know crazy facts about the movie? Like in terms of its filming and what happened after the passing of Chadwick Boseman? Not at all. I'm actually interested in this, so okay. shoot away, River. Well, I know just a little bit. I, I don't know a lot. Like I was actually trying to look for a video on YouTube and um, see if anybody did a whole kind of um, what has now happened to Black Panther, you know, after the... I, I couldn't really find a video. And I was Were they filming it while he was alive and they had to shift gears, or did they kind of know that they shouldn't start filming with him? Like, was that no, no? So what happened was, um, they they hadn't started filming. They they finished scripting the whole film. They finished um, storyboarding everything. Everything was ready to shoot, and just before it was ready to shoot, I. I can't tell you how many weeks or maybe months prior to his death, but let's say it's, it was like a few weeks prior to his death that filming was about to start. Um, uh, something along the lines of Chadwick had been given the script from Ryan Coogler. And at that time, he hadn't even told Ryan Coogler that he had cancer and that he was actually about to die. It was a very malignant cancer that he'd been battling for about four or five years. Um, but no one knew that he had cancer. The only people that knew that he had cancer was his his wife, his parents, you know, his immediate family, his siblings, and so on and so forth. So, And Ryan Coogler was, was a close friend to him, but he didn't actually tell any of his friends. He only told his, his family. Um, he was a very private guy in that sense. So um, the story goes... He was given the script by Ryan Cooler and and he's and he said to Ryan that I'm not gonna read the script, I'm gonna let the studio read the script first. And I think Ryan found felt that um, to be quite strange because mm-hmm. he said, Why is he passing the script to the studio to to read first before I do? Turns out the reason why he did it is because he knew when he was passing away. Mm-hmm. So it's man, it's it's an incredibly like traumatic and depressing set of events 
um, that started from that moment and then was to come after that. So uh, the script was, was already done, you know, and, and the script that he had is nothing like what we see in this movie. Mm. It's it's nothing like there's yeah. he had he had to actually change the entire film. <laughs> he kept he the kept main not in it, right? Like the main character's not there anymore. Well, yeah, that's that's the most obvious thing. That's that's kind of what you, um, yeah. I mean, that's that's the pillar of your film, it's your main character. Um, and and so th- there are elements of this movie that still exist from the previous script, um. Such as like they always had, they always plan to have the Talakan people in here. They always plan to have Namor as uh, his first appearance into the MCU. They always plan for that, but they didn't plan for any of these characters to go through the journey that they went through in this film. Mm. All these characters were supporting characters to T'Challa and whatever T'Challa was going to deal with in that previous movie. I, and I'm actually kind of interested. Like, what was that movie? I want to I want to get my hands on that script <laughs> just to yeah. know what that movie was going to be about. But anyway, I mean, that's the very small piece of information I know about that, really. Um, the rest of it is probably just going to be um, exaggerations, <laughs> exaggerated stories of, like, hearsay here and there. Yeah. Anyway, but I shouldn't bring the mood down um, just yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's uh, let's go to, like, a little bit of info for the movie. So Ryan Coogler is obviously coming back as the director. Um, he's writing it again alongside his previous writing partner on the previous film, uh, Joe Robert Cole. Um, so very tight writing team. Music is done again by Ludwig uh, Gorenson, um, who's Ludwig. slowly... Ludwig, sorry. Oh, Ludwig? Yeah. What did I say? Ludwig. Oh, Ludwig. Ludwig. Okay. Do you, did you spend time in Scandinavia or something? Or? Uh, <laughs> Beethoven, man. Beethoven. Oh, okay. Okay. You need to push your mic up again as well. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to do that thing where I instruct you to use your own fancy mic, Mr. <laughs> Podcast Professional over there. Uh. <laughs> um, okay, Ludwig Gorenson, um, as testified by JC. Um, he's actually slowly becoming my favorite music composer today. Him mm. and Marco J. Kino. Love those mm. guys. Uh, so uh, Ludwig Gorenson is uh, famous for Mandalorian. He's done quite a few episodes on there. Um, Tenet is probably where a lot of people know him from. Uh, Black Panther, obviously, 2018. And Oppenheimer, which is Christopher Nolan's next movie mm. coming out oh. next year. Can't wait for that. Um, this movie has a runtime of two hours and 41 minutes. Two hours and way too long. <laughs> did you feel it was long like oh, that's yeah, interesting i felt you I thought feel, that i feel i felt it was quite long yep yeah man okay cool i'm, I'm glad you agree like we agree on that <laughs> <laughs> we'll dive into that absolutely we'll dive into that um so the actors returning for this we've got leticia wright who's returning as shiri angela bassett returning as ramonda god damn her performance in this movie is mm. ooh, sensational sensational veteran. um veteran Mm. Like, yeah. I mean, Letitia Wright, I mean, I should probably say Letitia Wright was amazing as well, but it's just the standout performance for me is probably Angela Bassett. Mm. Uh, Lupita Nyong'o is coming back as Nakia. Uh, we have a newcomer, Tenokwete Hueta. I don't know how to pronounce that, but it's like, I guess, Tenokwete, uh playing Namor, or in the movie, some of them pronounce, well, he pronounces his name as Namor, and then... Mm. 
but then other people, other cast members, not a part of the tribe, but other cast members, like let's say in Wakanda, they say Namor. Um, mm. So it's interesting that they kind of balance the real world uh, pronunciation of the comic book name Namor, and then you got the um, the uh, tribal uh, pronunciation to it. Uh, Danaga Guerrera is back as Okoye. We've got Winston Duke back as Mbaku. Florence uh, Kasumba as Ayo. She's back to that character as well. And we have a new character called Anika, who is played by Michaela Cole. And um, I don't know where I was going with that. I, I don't know why I said and, um <laughs> <laughs> Anika, that's the, um, she's one of the daggers, right? Yes. She's one of the daggers, yeah. yeah. Right, okay, yeah. yeah. The one that um, disobeys. I mean, she doesn't disobey. She just got excited by the daggers she was given by mm. Shuri. She's mm. like, Shuri made these for me, and I think I like them better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have some we have some cameo overstayed appearances by Julia Lewis-Dreyfus playing Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, and you'll be familiar with that character if you've seen Falcon, Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Black Widow. Black Widow. Yeah. Mm. Well, in the Stinger scene, in the Stinger scene, she's mm. in, in Black Widow. Uh, we have a newcomer as well, Do- Dominique Thorne, who plays Riri Williams, and coming back to reprise his role as Everett Ross, Martin Freeman. Mm. With a budget of $250 million, it's, um, I mean, we can't really, we, we normally talk about the box office intake at that point, at this point, but um, there's no point because it only came out a few days ago. But I will say that in its opening weekend, it has performed a whopper $84 million on its opening night. That's domestic North mm. America. Second largest opening to, can anybody guess? Spider-Man. No, no, Spider-Man Whoa. was last year, man, dude. Oh, uh, you're talking about this year. Okay, sorry. My bad. Uh, I reread that wrong. Yeah. This 2022. Year. Yeah. Shouldn't be that hard to guess. Better say Strange. Yes. What? Doctor Strange. Wow. Doctor Strange made ninety one point two or ninety million. I think it was on this opening weekend. But um, it's it's tracking to perform a better opening weekend mm. compared to Strange. I think Strange's opening weekend was less than two hundred. Then they're predicting that what kind of forever is going to be over two hundred for the to opening be, weekend. To be fair, the hype around Strange up leading up to that post Spider Man was really going forth. Like you know, everyone was hyped mm. to see Strange at that point. So it's, I'm not mm. surprised. I'm not surprised. And it's probably also a reaction to uh, how much fans were missing essential, good feeling MCU. You know what I mean? Because mm. Phase Four. It's it's pretty mixed. It's a mixed bag of feelings for a lot of MCU fans. Um, mm. Everyone's kind I of on the fence. They're not like heartwarming kind of shows. Like I haven't been watching a lot of the Phase Four. No, no, no. Phase Four is um, it, it's it doesn't feel like the Marvel that we know. <laughs> right? Okay. Like <laughs> the team, like, Endgame. Because uh, I mean, there's a lot of TV shows, right? Like it's a lot of TV of... shows. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't feel like what it what it was in um the Infinity Saga. Know phases one to three. That's a very, very tight and cohesive, very f- well focused um, book, is what they like to call it. Mm. Um, and then in phase four, introducing a new book. The new book is now called the Multiverse Saga. Mm. Um, so we go from the Infinity Saga to now the Multiverse Saga. And this, from the beginning of phase four up until now, which Black Panther, what kind of forever is the last film of phase four. It just doesn't have the same kind of focus 
and good attention to a cohesive story or, or a collective story in amongst the universe that they were so good at doing with the Infinity Saga. When, when you say the last film, you mean the latest film or like Phase 4 is over after this? Phase 4 is over after this. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, I feel like nothing on. happened. Guardians? No. 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 <laughs> well, he did, he did say that Black Panther was going to conclude Phase 4, but then where does yeah. Guardians Holiday Special fall in? I don't know. I mean, there's all these kind of spin-off shows that were not, uh, we're not one hundred percent sure of if if it is part of the canon. If it is part of the canon, what kind of participation in the canon does it have? You know, mm. like where does it sit within the canon? Does that mean do, within the canon do we preclude everything that um, maybe shouldn't be a part of whatever the multiverse saga is ending up to be? Mm. You know, the, the end of the multiverse saga is is heading towards Secret Wars. That's ultimately what it's heading towards. Yep. Right now, what we see in Phase Four, I don't, I don't see how that's going to actually end up in Secret Wars. Like, um, whereas in the Infinity Saga, it's like you, you watch Phase One. From Phase One, we know exactly where this, where the story is going to end up, right? Because of how tight the storytelling is and and how focused that end goal was. Uh, whereas in Phase Four, we're like, uh, I don't know how we're going to get from what all the content that we've seen so far, you know, from WandaVision to Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, to even Spider-Man, uh, Falcon Winter Soldier, all these characters, they seem to be in their own kind of insular um, pockets of the vast multiverse. I don't know how all these characters are going to wind up in some kind of Secret Wars um, showdown. But just just going back to what you were talking about in our, in our conversation where – we looked at phase four as a different sort of genre and medium to tell the events of the post blip post end game mm-hmm. and introducing new characters through di- through diversity. Mm-hmm. Do you think that served that its purpose in that respect? I think in and of itself, if, if they wanted to just introduce brand new characters and a whole bunch of diversity of characters, then sure. Um, but then my question is like, what for and kind of why? And, and that is kind of hinged on what the MCU is known to do, which is getting back on track on where the whole story ends up. Because mm. um, I just don't know, like none of the journeys of these characters are pointing in a direction where I know where they're going. Mm. Whereas in the Infinity Saga, it's like we know exactly where Thor is going. We know exactly where Car- Captain America is going. Mm. Um, even though they have their kind of somewhat ambiguous uh, character arcs within their own stories. Mm. Um, we know that it is tied together with the Infinity Stones. Mm. Whereas these characters, we don't know what they're tied to at all. <laughs> like they're just kind mm. of having their own stories. You know, it's it's almost like they're not a part of a universe. Mm. That's probably probably the best way of to uh, the best way I can describe how I feel about it. And I think this is like a lot of MCU fans as well. Is that none of it. Like they all just feel like they're having their own spin-off shows and mm. there's like no way that they're going to be able to end up in secret wars. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know what Kim Feige's intentions are after phase four. I don't really kind of understand what his intention is direction of the whole saga is. Now that we've seen some of phase five and six and what's coming, do you think he's going to throw in some surprise projects as well? Well, yeah, there's a lot of untitled projects in the pipeline of Phase 5 and 6. Mm. So, 
Some of them could be X-Men properties. Some of them could be Fantastic Four properties. Who mm-hmm. knows? Could be what whatever they want to be at this point. It's kind of mm-hmm. they can throw whatever they want on the on the train track, and it's like, sure, let's go with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so released on the tenth of November, only a few days ago. We saw it on the preview night, the 9th of November. Uh, that was me and Tony. JC, when did you see it? I saw it on the 11th. The day, well, sorry, the 10th, the day after it came out. Oh, yeah. It was you, on the Thursday. Oh, okay. Oh, no, no, you saw it on the opening night. Okay. We saw it on the, we saw it, yeah, all the day. Yeah, we saw yeah. it on the preview night, which oh, was the day okay. before. The Wednesday, yep. Hmm. Uh, big crowd. Wasn't it actually packed in our cinema, Tony? I, I can't even remember. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it was pretty packed. I mean, they uh, clapped at the end, which is like a preview thing to do. <laughs> that's a like uh, MCU fan thing to do. You clap yeah. at the end, opening yeah. weekend, opening nights. Like you'll have all the Marvel nerds like us sitting in there, mm. um, and we're going to clap at some point if it deserves a clap. And this right. rightfully so deserves a did, clap. Did you clap? Yeah, I clapped. Yeah. Okay. But, cool. But I think I was I was more so clapping in honor of Chadwick Boseman. Mm. and less about the film like i think the film is good but i didn't think the film deserved a clap if if it wasn't for like how they handled the chadwick boseman story in this film then i mm. think i would have wouldn't have mm. clapped you know <laughs> i think i would have mm. like, okay cool it's a it's a good movie <laughs> no okay. uh no we'll get into that later uh uh so the rotten tomorrow's a little bit let's rewind that a little bit I'm trying to jump here a little bit so we can get to the recap, the, the nitty-gritty, the exciting part of the podcast, which is the recap. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes score at the moment, as of this recording, which is uh, the 13th of November, as of this recording, it is 84% for the critics rating, and it is 95% for the audience rating. So it's pretty high. I feel like you'd be a pretty brave critic to give this movie a bad score, considering kind of like, what it represents as far as the whole Chadwick Boseman uh, thing. Even yeah. if it was a terrible film, it's sort of like... That's yeah. a good point. That's a good point to make. Um, I mean, I would be brutal if I if I needed to be. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Well, Emotions, I don't know. you know, the narrative always uh, drives a, a leading role in these kind of things, I feel like. Sure, yeah. Uh, the critic consensus goes as such. A poignant tribute that satisfyingly moves the franchise forward. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, marks an ambitious and emotionally rewarding triumph for the MCU. I would agree with that consensus. I would definitely, definitely agree with that. Because they, they also don't really imply that the movie is groundbreaking. They don't imply that the movie is the best movie in the MCU. Mm. They kind of state the things that I would definitely agree with. Anyone else? No? Going once? Going twice? No. I mean, yeah, I think like- <laughs> Poignant tribute, agree with that. Um, they don't say a whole lot more, which is cool. I mean, ambitious and emotionally rewarding triumphs. <laughs> Some words. I, I, think, <laughs> I think they're just underscoring the whole Chadwick Boseman thing, to be honest. Mm. Um, I mean, if they're talking about the film being emotionally rewarding and ambitious, uh, I'm, I'm kind of like 50-50 on that. But I, I'm pretty sure they're really just implying that it's the Chadwick Boseman uh, tribute. Um, yeah. Mm. Mm. Lots of mmms. Uh, <laughs> you disagree with it, JC? No, 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 I'm just thinking, I think that could have been 
better worded. It just seems very vague, maybe with intention. But yeah, like you said, it's underscoring Chadwick. Like, mm. what about the other? What about the other parts of the movie? It's true. Mm. Well, to be to be fair, it's also just a very short consensus on the, mm. on the critics. I think there's been about like 500 plus critics so far. So, so not a lot. I think in, in a week's time, we'll see about a thousand or so um, critic reviews, and the consensus will change a little bit. All right, so let's get into what is the movie about. So this is actually coming off of the back of not necessarily the the first film, like its previous film. So this movie being a sequel isn't really traditionally a sequel. You know what I mean? It's really just coming off of the back of how they deal with Chadwick Boseman's, or I should say T'Challa's death in the MCU, which is really, really deep and crazy. So Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Queen, Ramonda, Shuri, Okoye, and the Dora, Dora Milaje fight to protect their nation from intervening with the powers of the world, or the world powers, sorry, in the wake of King Tatala's death. As the Wakandans strive to embrace their next chapter, the heroes must band together with the help of war dog Nakia and Everett Ross and forge a new path for the kingdom of Wakanda. Interesting that the the synopsis doesn't talk about um, the fish uh, people. Yeah, the fish people, the underwater <laughs> sea, sea creatures. It's interesting that the yeah, the synopsis doesn't actually mention them because then this just implies it's only ever about this. The I guess they're kind of like a a surprise reveal, though, right? So I can see that. Though you know, it's actually kind of interesting. This overview makes me want to watch the film a lot more than what it actually is about <laughs> true true yeah someone has it looks a exciting marketing, does it marketing done well yeah because you know it's just words you don't really know it's just at least that mystery about it yeah that's mm. fair i guess like because to me this thing is like because i don't want to go too deep into it but like the first film had kind of like a meta plot that sort of uh said a statement about um, society, mm. and I felt like mm. this one was kind of inching towards doing that with the whole, oh, these are colonizers, we want to take them back. Um, and this this overview kind of goes into that, where it's like, protect their nation from intervening world powers. And I thought mm. that was, that's a cool mm. plot, but it's a cool plot. the movie's not actually about that. <laughs> True, mm. but but it does have that as a subplot, I would say. Mm. I'd say minor subplot at best, but yeah. That sounds like tautology. You say minor subplot. It's like oh, many, small, many. Small, small. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tiny, tiny, tiny. <laughs> right on. Um, so we're going to get into our first impressions of the film. I'm going to keep the short impressions pretty tight, pretty brief, um, because we're going to be sharing the vast majority of our opinions and, ins- and impressions when we go through the recap. So starting with you, Tony. Uh, what do you long. Yeah. All right, I want to be quick. One really minute quick. thirty, dude, and I'm cutting okay, you off. One minute thirty. Let's do this. Um, okay, so unfortunately, I'm actually somewhat negative on this film. Highlights. My highlights are the fact that um, they do handle the Chadwick Boseman tribute really well. I think the first like five or six minutes is perfect. Like I, I wouldn't expect that to be any any better. But I felt like oh, and also yeah, Angela Bassett does a really really good job. I think Shuri, um, Letitia Wright does a really good job. So they're the highlights for me. Low light to the fact that, like, a lot of the plot seems to just happen for reasons. Um, people seem to do things that don't coincide with their characters in the way that, like, they're positioned towards us. Like, for example, Shuri's character does things that don't make sense for how she's portrayed, I feel like. And uh, a bunch of stuff. And I feel like 
the movie is long and they dedicate a lot of time to things that I don't think really matter. Like, for example, um, how the Taliconians came to be. Like, I think they're just called Talikan people. Wouldn't okay, that be the, the same term? <laughs> I don't know, actually. They, they don't actually define what, what that is. But, but anyway. like, I just felt like there's a lot of things where I think, oh, it would be so much better if they just did this or this or this instead. And there's like three or four times where I think that the story would be a lot tighter if they did that. But I'll talk about it during the recap. Nice. Hey, man, well done. That was actually brief. Yes. <laughs> Take it away, JC. Um, I don't want to reiterate what Tony, uh, Tony said, but I felt like a lot of that was a lot with saying I had the same feeling. It was long. It dragged out. Um, I feel like the third act is where it really picked up and kind of shone. Um, I'm, I'm actually more positive about the movie than I actually thought I would be. Um, and coming back to thinking about it post, uh, post watching it, I was like, Oh no, it actually had its good points more so than strange. Um, so, you know, I think it is a good way to finish up phase four. Um, like you were talking about before in the respects of the phase four hasn't necessarily been a positive experience for people, but I feel like this one ended up much better. Nice. All right. I'm going to spend five minutes on my one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to take what's left over from your guys' time limit and then uh, expand. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm kidding. I joke. Welcome to the river show. Hello. <laughs> Legit river. So key highlights for me is, um, hmm. I thought I was actually way much. more prepared. <laughs> I thought I was like way more prepared than like, I've been thinking about this all day. I've, I've seen it twice now. I, I saw it earlier today before we saw. Oh uh, damn, it's fresh for you. It's fresh in my mind. It's fresh in my mind. And, and I think that's probably why I'm a little bit confused right now. Um, because the second time watching it today, I literally just came out of the cinema like three hours ago. Um, and my second time seeing it, I wasn't as impressed. So I was like really impressed by the first time I saw it. I did have some issues with the film first time I saw it. But this time, I think the issues feel more magnified seeing it for a second time. Mm. But the good things that happen in this movie feel good still. They still feel well earned. Um, the highs, the highest highs are still high, you know. But the lowest lows feel way lower than the highest high. <laughs> mm. So you know, it's kind of like peaks and valleys for me. But uh, highlights is some of the action choreography is probably some of the best choreography I've seen out of the two films. Um, not all the action choreography. Some of the action. Well, actually, most of the action, to be honest, wasn't great to look at. But there's there's a couple of scenes where the action choreography is just it's beautiful to watch. Loved it. Felt the tension. Felt the heat. Felt mm. the conflict. You know, the emotional undercurrent of the fight, too, was really good. Um, I think the score is quite good in this movie. I think it's better than the first one. It's got, like, uh, Ludwig. Before JC corrects me again, Ludwig Göransson, <laughs> he, he 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 steps up his game in this. I think he does an, an incredible job at elevating that emotional tension that we're supposed to feel in the right moments. And then he's silent and has kind of uh, like let's call them musical score accents. He has those in it that um, help the scene with whatever's going on. Um, so I think he did an incredible job of that. Um, some other highlights would be the performances are just outstanding. 
the character journeys are not perfect, but the performances are like pitch perfect. Like you couldn't, I, I personally couldn't fault any of their performances, and and that's like it's it's different to what they how their characters end up in the film because I feel like the characters' journey and the performances are kind of parallel to each other. You know, they're they're on two separate train tracks. <laughs> like the performances are amazing, right. but the character journey is kind of like, uh, I don't see how that fits, but whatever. <laughs> um, so I guess that's a low light. Some of the other low lights, I f- I feel like there's way more low lights for me now that I've seen it for the second time, than the highlights, which is kind of like, I don't, I feel kind of uncomfortable about that because, because it's, it's really difficult to be overly, uh, how do I put this? Overly critical of a film that Ryan Coogler has a seemingly impossible task to pull off. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So there's a lot of empathy that I'm giving in this criticism in my review there's a lot of like sympathy i'm pouring into this right it's like oh man like how else could you have done this film <laughs> i think i feel like we can like you know you can judge the product and not say ryan coogler sucks like, sure you can do sure that. Yeah, yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> but but that's not entirely like kind of what i mean it's it's very difficult to kind of critique this film because it seems like an anomaly of a task to do as a director um and he's kind of put in like between um a rock and a hard place wait did mm-hmm. i did i get that right is that the same yeah, yeah that's, rock that's and a hard place. <laughs> i was thinking about stone in a hard place but that doesn't seem <laughs> too hard um yeah i i just like he kind of had no choice but to change everything and dude I, I just don't even know how i would even i don't even know if i had like the right to kind of say well you should have done this you should have done this <laughs> like, I would, for, first of all i don't know how to direct the film second of all I there's no way there's no multiverse out there where you see me directing a film like this with all this kind of pressure um and kind of yeah the task at, at hand so yeah anyway um that's kind of how I feel about the movie overall I actually really enjoy it it's a I had fun um I felt entertained I laughed at the moments that were funny because I didn't think it was satire. I didn't think it was a parody like all those other stupid Marvel movies and <laughs> Phase Four with all their parody um, Saturday, Saturday Night Live skits and shit like that. Mm. But um, yeah, it was it was entertaining, and I think I'll watch it again. Maybe not in the cinema, but you know, if a friend of mine said, "Hey, you want to go see Black Panther?" I'd be like, "Yeah, sure, I'll go." Um, yeah, that's how I feel Disney about Plus. it. Disney Plus. Disney Plus. Yeah. There we go. All right, so why don't we get into the recap? You guys ready to get into this recap? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let's get into the recap. Like, I like to always play my favorite. What's my favorite transition again? I think it's this one. It's like a whooshy sound. Is it? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> well, you love the like, whoosh, man. There's kind of like two whooshy sounds. Um, and then there's there's a new one on here as well. But for some reason, it's not working. So let's just forget that. I'm actually just going to leave it here. It's going to jump in at, at any point when it starts to play (laughs) um okay so the recap so first time listeners uh to the podcast the recap is basically we go through the entire film broken down into three acts the classic film structure act one act two act three and we go through the plot and then we just chime in whenever we want at whatever point and we talk about uh we share our thoughts on, on those points share our opinions and then it kind of 
it just jogs our memory a little bit. Sometimes we might even have a different opinion on a certain scene or a certain performance, character, um, certain arcs without the film, uh, throughout the film. And yeah, that's kind of the benefit of the recap. And if you haven't worked it out, it's going to be a spoiler alert. (laughs) I think we already spoiled it, didn't we? (laughs) We always have this thing where we never ever say that. We never ever give like a spoiler warning. We just kind of go for it. I don't know that scene where, yeah, yeah. You know that scene where Telecon explodes underwater? Um, All right, cool. Let's get into it. Act one. We start off with Shuri, who works in her lab, trying uh, trying hard to create an artificial heart shaped herb to use for her brother and Wakanda's king, T'Challa, who is dying of an illness. This is also the exact same thing that happened in real life because in the movie they don't actually talk about what the disease is they don't they don't i don't even think they say cancer um no they just say illness which i illness. like yeah they just say illness they don't even they don't explain what the illness is how he got it the nature of it how long he's had it it's they start the film super heavy and head on the major elephant in the room which is chadwick is dead now the king is dead. The king got an illness. Chadwick had an illness. The king's about to die. Chadwick has died. Um, I'm actually not surprised that they started the movie like this. Hey, um, I'm not surprised that Marvel did it in such a styly way, which they did. They done this um, also with Infinity War, uh, where there wasn't an open title um, credit. There wasn't the Marvel logo that hadn't even started yet. Um, the Infinity War sort of opens up to a war-torn battleship, you know, mm. Um, mm. and um, the Asgardian ship, it yes. opens up like that. Yes. So it's a very, right. very cold o- opening, and I think this is exactly what they wanted to do. They wanted to plummet, uh, mm. plummet us right into the cold opening and the situation that the Wakandan uh, people are dealing with, primarily Shuri, because she's the sister, um, and it's a super cold opening. It was kind of like, oh, I actually thought the... Another trailer was coming out, and you remember we sitting. Yeah, there. I thought it was an ad. Yeah, I thought it was like another trailer, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, no, that's Shuri's voice!" Because like, yeah. it's her voice in the background. The it's the screen is dark, and she's talking like she's she's kind of like she's seemingly talking to somebody, but she's talking to the AI robot mm-hmm. who I can't remember the the name of the AI robot. Green Joe or something? I don't know. Um, Crow Crow doesn't Krell. matter. Krell. doesn't matter. <laughs> um. Yeah, so Ramonda, Ramonda slowly walks into the lab, announcing T'Challa's death. Um, and then a year later, blah, 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 Wakanda is having trouble. Okay, so so just in this opening scene, how did you guys feel? Did you feel like you were thrusted in completely? Were you, like, focused? Um, mm. Did you like this cold opening? Did you think it was too jarring? What are your thoughts? Um, no, you're right. I think I did think it was an ad, and I'm like, no, 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 this is the movie. And it really sets that tone. Um, and it was a good parallel to draw back to Infinity War, just to say that, okay, this is it. And like, this is how we're going to deal with it. And I think that really set up that opening title of all Chadwick. And I was like, oh, they, I, they did that. They actually did that. Mm. And, you know, that gives you that, that hit right in the field straight away. It's like, okay, he's gone, you know, um, bit hard to see, but I think, everyone seeing that movie was going to ask, how are they going to handle this? And I think that they hit the nail on the head right at the start. And I think mm. 
it was a brave and bold opening, but I think they executed that part well. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, like, this is probably my favorite part of the film, to be honest, which is mm. a bit sad, but like the 20 seconds of the movie. <laughs> no, like, the thing is, like, they, they started opening like she's, she's rushed. You can feel her tension. You can feel like how much she cares about this, which is like, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to get across. Um, and then the thing, the fact is that like, you know, I was always sitting there thinking, oh, is there like a cameo? Because they knew he was dying. Would they like get him and like film him for 20 seconds and he could say something? And that was always in the back of my head. But when they just sort of killed it right at the start, it was really good. And then that whole silent Marvel um, Mm -hmm. intro with just a whole lot of Chadwick, like that was actually quite emotional. I felt felt emotional watching that. And I felt like um, there was no better way to have done that. Mm. Dude, I cried. Like, I, I cried, like, n- not at the cold opening with Shuri and stuff, but uh, I'm like you guys. I, I felt the tension. I felt the panic. I felt the frustration. I felt the anger, which is not something we've ever seen in Shuri. Shuri's always been calm. She's always been this kind of jokey, like, social media type personality. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. but, yeah, like but, happy all the time. Happy all the time, but very bright, very intelligent, um, knows her shit. This is the first time we've ever seen her stressed. And, and I love the fact that we go from what Shuri was in the first Black Panther movie in 2018 to be this, like, happy-go-lucky, bubbly, optimistic, mm. very, very intelligent at what she does, to now we open up with her just completely stressed out. And she's angry. She she yells at, like, the Wakandan uh, scientists and stuff, you know, because she's just frustrated that she just needs to get this solution. Because she's mm. always had the solution. She's always had, um, she's always been able to fix things. She's always been able to do things for her brother, do things for her country. And then everything just falls to shit because she cannot figure out how to um, cure this unknown illness. Um, so, yeah, it was crazy. And then when Ramonda walks in slowly, she's like, she she just looks like she just finished like crying for about two hours or whatever. Mm. Um, and then decided to tell her daughter, Shuri, that um, what were her words? Uh, your brother has gone to the ancestors, I think, yeah. is what she says. Um, and then Shuri just starts crying. She, like, sort of stumbles back a little bit, starts crying, and then it blacks out, and then it gets into the Marvel presentation, which is, of course, it's it's what I expected. That it was going to be a montage of all the different um, T'Challa sequences throughout the MCU. That's mm. what they did with uh, Stan Lee when Stan Lee passed away. Mm. Um, I th- what movie did they do that with? I think it might have been Captain Marvel or no, no, because he was in Captain Marvel. That was his last appearance on an mm. MCU film. It would have been the film after Captain Marvel. Oh, maybe Infinity. No, not Infinity War. I don't know. <laughs> One of those movies they did like a whole um, homage and montage to Stan Lee and had all the different Stanleys. Um, so yeah, I, I, I was expecting them to do that with, with T'Challa, but man, it hit me like a ton of bricks, dude. I was like, whoa, this is this is so much, and I just like bored my eyes out like real quick. <laughs> in game? No, I don't. I don't think it was in game. In game was. Um, was everybody getting dusted, I think? Was it? Uh, no, remember. you're right. Captain Marvel. Sorry, Captain you're right. Marvel. Captain Marvel. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So, yeah, he. it's the opening of Captain Marvel, and then he's. that's the, the last time he appears. Mm. Um, yeah, it was, it was such a hard thing. And then it sort of jumps, right? It jumps to one year. Actually, sorry. Before we jump to one year later, there's the funeral. We should talk about the funeral scene. 
Because mm. I, I didn't actually put that in here. We've got the beautiful uh, funeral ceremony or like the the precursor ceremony, whatever you call that, um, uh, eulogy service or something, you know, before the whole nation celebrates the the life of um, T'Challa. Mm. They do the sort of street march with um, – I love how everybody's in white costume because it's a – it's a sign or a sim- it's symbolism around life uh, rebirthing into another life kind of thing. Um, everybody's like dancing around chanting. And then I love the, the slow motion or the choice to do a slow-mo, mm. um, like uh, a slow-mo scene with um, Ramonda and how she's reacting to what has happened. She's just kind of dazed and confused. You can kind of see it all in her eyes and her expression. Um, and then the whole thing's like kind of upbeat, right? Like the whole the whole funeral scene is pretty upbeat until they get to the archway where they deliver the coffin to whatever the let's call it like the Halley carrier or whatever you know the Halley carrier flying mausoleum. I didn't know what the hell that was. Like <laughs> you get sucked in the sky. I'm like, okay, is that the final spot or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have this like you know ability to. Um, what do you call that? Ma- magnetize people up into the spacecrafts. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just love how the coffin goes through the archway, and then Ramonda and Shuri have their last moments with T'Challa before he gets sent sent away. And it's such an emotional part for Shuri, especially because Shuri is like the emotional anchor in this film for me. Um, I don't know about like about you guys, but like Shuri is definitely the emotional anchor. Um, Ramonda, she's like an emotional anchor in a different way. She has kind of a different type of responsibility for the film, but I feel like the entire plot is sitting on the shoulders of Shiri because it's all about what she does, um, and how she kind of addresses all the threats and the attacks. Um, yeah, I mean, she's definitely the, the, the protagonist, I think, Mm -hmm. um, it feels like, you know, she's sort of feeling the feelings that I think that they want the crowd to be feeling, like the, the anger, the sadness and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas Ramonda is like, you know, she sort of acts like she's dealing with it much better. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's actually yeah. kind of interesting as well, because like I recently watched Black Panther 1 in preparation for 2, because yes. I had seen 1 such a long time ago. And it was, again, kind of powerful for me. It's a small thing, because... Shuri never seems to want to wear the um, traditional mm. clothes. Mm. And so as soon as, like, he's dead, she's, like, fully decked out in traditional stuff. And I was like, oh, man, like, that was a powerful thing to say that, like, she didn't care about all that stuff anymore. You know, mm. I was dead. It's the most important thing to her. Mm. So, yeah. But were you going to say something, Jason? No, I was just going to feel like... You just inhaled. <laughs> no, I did. Sorry. The uh, So a couple of things. The the ship is actually called the Royal Talon Fighter. Oh, okay. So there, there's some uh, information there. And uh, the uh, equivalent of uh, Vision... What was um, Jarvis, sorry, is Griot, who is actually voiced by Trevor Noah. Really? Yeah. That's cool. That's a cool cameo. Yeah. Didn't know that. And I was like, oh. The voice came up, and when I searched it, I was like, oh, okay, it's Trevor Noah. So there you go. Mm. There's uh, some information for you all. Keeping busy after Daily Show. Yeah, the whole thing is, like, super emotional. Um, and then we get past the, the Marvel credit scene, and then we jump to one year later. 
One year later, Wakanda is having trouble with other nations wanting their vibranium. The Dora Milaje catch French military men trying to steal from their outposts. Later, Ramonda talks to the United Nations and reveals the French, the French's attempt to steal. She reminds the countries that even though the Black Panther is gone, they will still fight. At a mining outpost, Americans mine in the ocean. Oh, okay, so before we get to that part, this is um, you know, the the back and forth between the UN um, speech uh, and, and address that Queen Ramonda does to everybody in the UN, and she's. I, I love how like it's it's clearly different to like two different timelines, but then it eventually um, meets together by the time she gets to the end of her speech. You know what I'm talking about here. Yep. Yeah, you, you think the battle happened, battle, and then yeah. it clearly it's happened way in the past for them to still for them to be there. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh wow, they they got to the UN really quick. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I love this scene because it's it shows it shows how powerful Ramonda is, how strong she is as a leader of a nation, or now taking the responsibility to be a leader of a nation, um, and it, it shows the regalness you know the kind of regalness that she has and she wears it so perfectly mm. like how do you even how do you like that's just acting i suppose right the way that's she just... walked in yeah yeah she really walked in with the regality of you mm. know being who she is yeah man. yeah she owned that she had that like gaunt thing going on you know with mm. her like pierced lips and everything <laughs> i was like damn she's uh <laughs> she's she's good she knows she's what royalty. she's doing yeah. she's royalty um yeah, and and, then, and I do like the the two timelines kind of parallel with each other, and then they eventually converge uh, towards the end of the speech. But at first, I found it was kind of strange how she starts off the speech, and then the speech ends, and it goes straight to that military base. I thought, mm. like, for a moment, I was like, did they mess up the editing? Um, oh. what, how, how, did, how did we just jump to that? And then, and then it's not until we know, like, until the end of that scene that she's still talking and they're going to go back to it. So I just thought it was a weird editing choice. I thought it was, it wasn't a great editing choice, but eventually it kind of came together and it was a really mm. good scene. So actually I, I didn't, so I like this scene for the reasons you talked about, like the fact that like the acting is really well done all that kind of thing. I didn't like this scene from a meta point of view. Mm. Um, and I'll explain it, I guess, so in the first film, right, the entire plot is like this sort of meta commentary on society. Like they have this power. What should they be doing to help other people who are weaker than them? Mm. And then you leave that movie with like this message of hope of mm. Wakanda is going to step out and it's going to start helping people. Mm. And then there's this last, um, I watched it quite recently. There's this last scene where Wakanda's like, we pledge to help now. Mm. We pledge to like open our doors. And then someone says like, oh, what can a nation full of farmers do? And then you see like T'Challa, like, you know, wink at the camera pretty much. Mm. The thing I hated about this, um, this scene is that it kind of implies that like, that was an objectively bad decision because at this point, the UN doesn't trust them. The UN more or less want to attack them mm. if they could. Um, they're constantly having to defend themselves at all times. And then it never really like even hints that it was ever a good idea. It's not like, um, there was like a year or a couple of years where T'Challa was helping out these people and all these um, people are now much, much better off with Wakanda being an outreach program or being like sharing knowledge and stuff. It's like the entire um, 
problems of this film, uh, the, the entire like sort of like conflict in this film is because of that decision to go wide. Mm. And it seems like there was no good from it either. Mm. And I feel like that kind of, I'm not going to say it spits in like Chadwick's face, but like T'Challa, maybe like this is something that he wanted to do at the end of the first film. He stood for it really strongly mm. and it actually just was bad. <laughs> yeah. Are you saying it's the whole thing was just implying that T'Challa made their own decision or, or yeah, kind of like, or Wakanda, like kind of, or Wakanda as a whole made their own decision. Cause, cause the way I see it is that T'Challa was really operating on the merits of his own beliefs and his values, every, regardless of like how Wakanda felt about it. Cause when you, when you look at, when you look back at the film, I actually haven't seen it in a while, but you'll you'll probably have way better recollection of the film than I did. But yeah. from what I remember, the film, like the, the character T'Challa, always wanted to operate by his own beliefs, and and that was yeah. somewhat girded in Wakandan tradition. However, Wakandan tradition was to never share the resources of Wakanda. It was never about that. And so I would I would sort of be led to believe that no one in Wakanda actually really wanted that other than T'Challa. So even to the point of Ramona, Ramonda. So I'm not really, it doesn't actually bother me. And I'm not really surprised that Ramonda would be like, nah, the king is dead. Our kingdom has fallen kind of thing. Right. And we're that vulnerable and we're not going to share our resources. No, it's not about the fact that she doesn't want to share. It's the fact that like, she's now in kind of a tough spot because everyone knows about her now. Mm -hmm. Like it just sounds like, T'Challa, because the entire plot of the first film is more or less like, Wakanda wants to save all their stuff, they don't want to share it with anyone, and then the brother of the king is like, no, how can we let these people, you know, be? How can we ignore them? And then at the end, T'Challa's like, I won't be like you, I don't want to join you in this ancestor place, I want to go be better for the world. Mm -hmm. And it's a very hopeful message. And then you get to the start of the second movie, and it's like, yeah, you shouldn't have done that, T'Challa, it's a bad move. Like, that's kind of what it says. And they never really in this film say otherwise like it's just an objectively bad choice of T'Challa yeah like Mm -hmm. it was in the first movie it's a really hopeful thing and at the start of the second one you kind of get the feeling that like oh T'Challa you should not have done that (laughs) but I I sort of I didn't sort of see it in that way I I saw it more of a way of like well I mean they lost their king so they're gonna clamp down on everything um and so it it was less about like you know we're gonna go against T'Challa's wishes and more about like well the black panther was the most powerful thing we had in wakanda and now the black panther is gone oh, yeah no it's not about like what ramonda what ramonda does like she's fine like i get what she's doing it's just like it's just wakanda is kind of in a shitty spot now mm-hmm. and it's kind of all charles fault <laughs> yeah oh yeah so you're saying that it's it almost seems like it's implying to charles fault Mm. Yeah, it's kind of implying that the this this moral thing that he was standing up for, that we were all hopeful of, was just not a good thing to do. Mm. And I feel like that's... Mm. I don't know, it kind of spits on his memory a little bit. Uh, not the actor, the right. character. The character right. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't get that. Um, because it's it's more kind of... Um, uh, like, it, it's more after the fact as opposed to before the fact. Because let's say, like, what T'Challa's alive and he does, he's not king anymore. He just gets revoked of his... his mm. uh, his kingship, and then Ramonda takes uh, takes over as monarchy as opposed to patriarchy. Um, then I well, I don't know where I was going to go with that. <laughs> I guess, I've got some thoughts on this, and like it, I understand that sometimes you have things not go well for the plot, 
and I think I would have appreciated that plot. Mm. Like, the idea that, like, they out themselves, but actually it's not a good idea, and all of the UN wants to take them down, mm. like, to me, is a really cool story of, like, this political intrigue and, like, how do they deal with it? But they set the stage for it, but then it all becomes about the fish people, right? So they don't actually explore that as a plot, and I would have liked that plot a lot more. But this is where also it comes into uh, what I think doesn't work in this movie is just the amount of jumping around with the different plots and the subplots. Um, mm. That's what that's the biggest weakness of this film is that it just it doesn't it doesn't really feel like they know where the story wants to go. Um, that makes sense. They yeah. kind of want to tap into here. They, they want to tap into the whole like world caving in on them. And when we say the world caving in on them, it's really just one nation ends up being France. What did the French people do? Why, why pick on them? No. <laughs> uh, oh, right. Yeah. Like, why choose them as like the, the, the villains of the story? Cause that's the thing. Like, they have all this, like the, the Americans are looking into them. They want to attack them. And that's the entire, um, Martin. I, I, I thought that would even go with the Americans wanting to attack and take yeah. them by Brandon, but then they chose France. Like why? I don't, I mean, but like, not that that's a problem. It's just, it's just one of those like interesting things. Like out of all the countries you you would assume that, like the Americans will be the chosen one because they're always in every single Hollywood film and they just chose France. It seems like a very arbitrary, random <laughs> choice. Yeah. I, I think it's like, actually, it actually is funny, but I think there's a more interesting story of established nations trying to take out Wakanda. Oh yeah. It would have made more sense if like, uh, you know, France and Italy and United and I don't know, Russia or whatever, you know, like a bunch of countries like teamed up together Mm. And they also would have like made a far more threatening force against the freaking Dora Malaje. <laughs> mm. You know what I mean? Like, and it would have been, I think the threat and the stakes would have been much higher. There's a bunch of soldiers who try and attack like the Dora Malaje. Like how ignorant and how stupid could you be? Like, the Dora <laughs> Malaje are like literally the most powerful military <laughs> group on the, on the planet. Um, anyway. We spent so much time yeah. on this, and we haven't even like given <laughs> okay, a chance to like talk about this. Uh, but we should kind of like uh, move forward a little bit. But um, do you want to say anything about the scene, JC? This uh, no, I think old... you guys have nailed a lot of the things I was thinking anyway. So yeah, let's move on. All right, the fight. I mean, the fight sequence in this scene, I think, is awesome. By the way, no, I agree. I think that was a lot of the fight scenes in the movie are short but well done. I think that's that's where mm. it highlights. Yeah, it's it's the short ones that are really well done, not the long ones. No. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, I lost where we were. Uh, uh, at a mining, okay, here we go. Uh, at a mining post or outpost, Americans mine in the ocean using vibranium detector that was created by an MIT student. We don't know it's an MIT student at this point of the film, yeah, but yeah, we yet. discover later um, who is ends up being Riri Williams. They use this to find vibranium in the ocean. Suddenly, they come under attack by Tal. Oh, how do they say it here? Telecanils. Telecanils. I still like the Teleconians. Teleconians. <laughs> Teleconians sounds a bit more like fitting, I suppose. Telecon people like sound a bit of, I don't know, whatever. You call them the Telecon. Telecon. The Teleconils. 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 That sounds so wrong. According to the NC wiki. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, so the Teleconils, who do not want uh, them stealing their vibranium, last remaining helicopter of survivors is struck down by Namor. So, okay, this scene is actually one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie. I love the way it's shot. It's like shooting at night is very difficult to make look, to make realistic. Super difficult. You talk to any DOP, because I'm a professional DOP, if if you haven't figured that out. (laughs) 
<laughs> you talk to any cinematographer or anybody that's into photography, shooting at night is incredibly hard to make it look real. Mm-hmm. And the cinematography in this, for the most part, is amazing, and especially the night sequences. So when we get introduced to the tele, I'm just going to say telecom people. It's too hard to say the other, <laughs> the other word. It's called fish people, man. Fish people. When we get introduced <laughs> to the fish people here, man, I was not expecting their introduction to be a sonic uh what is it called like sonic wave or something like that i wasn't expecting it to be sonic wave sounds the the siren song type siren yeah it's called like sonic sirens or something like that um i was not expecting that to be their introduction like Mm. because when that's happening i was like are they are they introducing them by them singing like what's going on here <laughs> like, are they, they going to sing a song to get onto the ship like what is this like is this moana or something um <laughs> and then and then it's just them like um hip, um hypnotizing everybody to commit suicide or jump off the boat i was like mm. whoa what a great way to show the power of this uh underwater tribe people it's incredible the way they start with that and then the guy that snaps out of it with them um, because of the gunshot, he's like, what, what's going on? And then there's a slow-mo of like, I don't know, is he like the Lieutenant or something um, of the Talakan people? Mm. He like jumps up and it's slow motion in the air. And then he throws a spear. I was like, Whoa, what a shot. I'm loving this. I was, I was pulled straight into their world just from this introduction scene. And that was that for them. <laughs> No one else wants to talk about that. <laughs> no, I think I think it was a good it was a good introduction. Just having that sonic hypnosis, or you want to call it that, yeah, um, because they didn't know how to deal with it. Um, mm. But yeah, it was just a, a, a nice introduction. It wasn't over the top, but it was just something different. You know, you know, it's just so like, cool. It just looks so awesome. It kind of remind me of the Winter Soldier scene. You know, where it's 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 dark. It's at night and. And Steve Rogers is just like annihilating everybody across the ship. Where he's running. Oh, across. the GSP fight scene. GSP's fight scene, GSP. yeah. Towards the end of that opening. It kind of reminded me of that opening because that's also really well shot at night. And it's kind of airy and it's a little bit Tom Clancy kind of Are thing. Are you just seeing like a boat at nighttime? <laughs> no, because like it's a whole attack on the boat in Winter Soldier. And this is, this is the same thing. It's a whole assault and attack. On this uh, mega ship, I, I do like that this scene had like very strong sort of horror elements. Like you know, you see mm. these sort of heads in the water, mm. and then all that kind of stuff. And then as they're trying to get away, they just start crashing. Like that was that was pretty cool. Yeah. It's kind of interesting though when you see the helicopter fly away. You see a woman standing there, right, a fish woman with like a harpoon. And so obviously my mind goes to, oh, she's harpooning this um helicopter. But yeah, she's a completely different guy that can fly. <laughs> 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 it was a cool scene. Yeah, it was a great scene. Loved it. Um, they burn their. Uh, oh, actually, sorry, I jumped a little bit. The last remaining helicopter. So I was struck down by Namor in Wakanda. Ramonda and Shuri go to the water and mourn the one year anniversary of Chitala's passing. Um, they burn their funeral garments to signify the end of the mourning period, despite Shuri not being completely ready for this. Namor then arrives, getting through the border by going underwater, of course. How else would he do that? <laughs> he reveals to them the existence of the Talakan and wants their help to stop foreigners from taking vibranium. He also explains that Wakanda is not the only place that has vibranium. Talakan has it too. Ramonda tells him uh tells him off 
worried of his presence. He tells them he is going to kill the scientist who made the machine that they want, uh, that they can help him, but they cannot get in this way. I don't know if I actually finished that sentence properly. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you said it right. Did yeah, I? Yeah. I stumbled over so much. Um, so this is actually where we get the proper setup for the entire plot. Um, mm. and, and I feel like this is a weak one, by the way. You feel like this is the weak one. Okay. Oh, okay. I'll, ex- I'll explain my thoughts. And, and I'll, I'll, maybe I missed something because I haven't seen it in, in, a, in a while. I mean, since Wednesday, I guess. <laughs> but one, um, when they say Shuri not being ready for this, mm. I again, I've just come from... Um, Black Panther 1, where she just doesn't really give a crap about the traditional things, doesn't care about the ancestral things. She's all about tech. Mm. So it didn't really strike me as she's not ready to let go of her brother. It struck me as, oh, she just doesn't care about these kind of traditions. Oh, and so, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't take it as a she wasn't ready. It was more like a, this isn't the kind of thing that she would do mm. to, to get over him. Interesting. And so it kind of framed the way I saw the film in a way that I literally have, like, I didn't even see until right now that, like, that was what they were going for. Mm. Um, because it kind of made me go, oh. Like, it, it framed a bit of my disappointment in the film because I thought that there was a journey there for her to go on that she doesn't go on. And that journey was, like, she's someone who is not very, like, into the history of Wakanda, into mm. those traditional things. And then, like, she would eventually become more spiritual, but that mm. doesn't really happen. And so I was like, that sucks. But secondly... um, I don't really understand why Namor, Namor, um, one, needs the help of the Wakandans, because they seem to go on land pretty easily. Two, why he thinks they're special, just because they've got vibranium, like, they're the ones that he wants to help because, like, they're cool. Because it's kind of implied that he doesn't think that he can take them, but evidently he can, like, whenever he wants, really badly. Was it not? So, was it not from just keeping secret and private that they didn't yeah, want to be discovered? That was the whole point of that. It's because he didn't. He didn't want to reveal the Talakan people. He didn't want to reveal right. himself. He did, he but, wanted to stay secret. And if he needs the help of the Wakandans, because the Wakandans are not secret anymore, they used to be a secret society. But the Wakandans are are now out there because of T'Challa, and because of T'Challa, like he he has he has two reasons for this. One. The Wakanda people are now exposed to the world, so they're no longer a secret society. Two, T'Challa is responsible for this, right? So, so he he blames Wakanda while also blaming T'Challa for making the decision to expose vibranium to the world. And mm. so he he may he makes a point to remind, and, and I think this is what what gives the weight to the character um, and the outstanding performance from Tanok Tanok Tanoka Tanoka. We're talking about Namor? Yeah. Namor? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to pronounce his real name, Tanaka or something like that. Um, His performance is amazing. I love it. Mm. And the weight of his character is really, um, it's really brought to light, ironically, in the dark (laughs) sequence when we first meet him and, you know, uh, he has that, this monologue scene, or this, sorry, this dialogue scene with Ramonda. Um, He establishes um, his purpose he, he establishes his want, his threat as well, and the consequence of of whether if Wakanda was to not um, not participate in this. So, I thought I thought everything that he said in this scene was perfect. It's, it's exactly what they need to set up for the plot, which is mm. the main plot that we find out. Um, and I mean, I think this should have just been the only plot. The other plots that exist, like with the whole UN stuff and the world trying to get involved, it's cool. But it's so short 
and it's such a subplot that it's they don't of, flesh that other stuff out. Yeah, no, it's kind of like in, inconsequential ad like to the main plot. Really, like it actually doesn't mm. even matter <laughs> in the end. Um, they kind of use it as more conduit pieces as opposed to real subplots. You know, because because then we're introducing these other characters that actually didn't even need to be in the movie. Like, like Everett at like all? Everett. Like, <laughs> it wouldn't have made a difference if he mm. wasn't in it. Um, Ruby Williams, although she's such a cool character, and I'm actually, because of this, I'm excited to see Ironheart. I kind mm. of wasn't really excited to see Ironheart. But because we get to see her um, play the character and have some kind of introduction, although I think it's like, I think she deserves a better introduction than just being thrown into Wakanda forever. <laughs> oh, so she's Ironheart. She's I wasn't Ironheart. aware of that. Yeah, she's yeah. Ironheart. I probably should say, though, you've, you've convinced me. I think, like, I walked into this thinking, oh, man, I don't even know why, like, Namor wants Wakanda. But it makes sense. You yeah. make good points. Yeah, but, I mean, you're right, though. Like, if, if, if that wasn't the case, if it wasn't about, like, keeping secrets, it would have been, like, why do you need Wakanda? <laughs> why can't you just do it yeah. yourself? Yeah. Well, it was, like, do it yourself, but also, um, why does he want to support, like, why does he want to be allies with them so badly? I never understood that, because he can wipe them out. Because well, like. Wakanda has, I mean, they have a powerful force as well. But even though he, he kind of threatens them by saying, I have an army that's more than like the strands of your grass or something like that. <laughs> something yeah, something like, really spoiler. poetic. <laughs> There's a spoiler here, but he, when he decides to, he wrecks their shit, right? Oh, <laughs> yeah. He wrecks their shit. Like he's angry. But, but I also feel like he's just kind of, you know, he, he's a typical like warmonger at that point and he's going to use any mm. kind of. Um, words to threaten um, the potential enemy, but he doesn't want to be enemies. He wants to be allies with them. So yeah, he really wants to. It, that's, that part I never understood why he wanted to so badly, but it makes sense now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wakanda are just a powerful force. They're out there. They have heaps of vibranium. It's like you know, be allies so we can take down the world, kind of thing. That's <laughs> basically right. his whole thing. Actually, like, then maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but there's this point, um, sort of when he's talking to Shuri and he says, like, you know, you and I, like, our, our nations are similar, like, out there, they're all colonizers, not like mm. us, you know, like, we should take out those colonizers because, um, we hate them or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I kind of thought that that was going to be, again, the meta message of this film, similar to the first one, mm. and it's not. But, uh, and I was, that was also disappointing mm. for me personally. But they, they also have slightly different, um, histories, though both uh, the Talakan people and uh, the Wakandans. The Wakandans were never enslaved or never colonized. Mm. They were they, they were a tribe that just were lucky because a meteor landed in their tribe long before white people existed. Um, mm. Whereas the Talakan people, they only got affected by vibranium um, in the 16th century. Like in response to terrible things happening. In response to, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. But this is where the thing, okay, <laughs> I'm going to tap into something that's a little bit inconsistent and kind of strange, but I'm hoping somebody can correct me on this or maybe somebody in my DMs or comment, I don't know, whatever, correct me on this because um, it, it doesn't actually make sense to me that they get vibranium, they, um, well, they discover vibranium in the 16th century. Mm. Um when vibranium has been around for so long, like it's been around for like thousands of years or something like, uh, how long has it been? Like in, cause you've seen black Panther recently, Tony. Oh, like, doesn't it go back nah. to like BC or something? It's like, it's something crazy. I did not recall that <laughs> being mentioned. <laughs> it's like the whole opening scene, man, you know, with the visual effects, uh, where they talk oh. about the Panther and stuff like that. Anyway, I think 10, it's like thousand years ago. There you go. It's, it's, it's a very long time ago, <laughs> 10,000 years ago. 
This is water vibranium. Yeah, but like, <laughs> like um, these guys, these guys were like the Wakandans were adamant that they were the only ones that had v- vibranium, and they would surely be the only ones to know that and have the research because their technology was way advanced compared to everybody else. So you could only assume that they also had the technology and the research to know where all the other vibranium was, and then, but then this like. Talakan tribe discovers it, um, not even in the oh in the ocean, but it's not deep in the ocean. They, they the guy just like swims ten meters or whatever, <laughs> and he finds it, um, and he brings it back up to the surface. And then they think it's just like you know herbal medicine or whatever. And then, and then turns out it's got some magic magical properties which end up being vibranium. So it's it's kind of weird. Like I don't actually see the consistent thread here, like with trying to establish like vibranium being discovered in the 16th century and the Wakandans are like, what? <laughs> and I'm also, I'm also kind of like, yeah, what? Aren't you like the most powerful, like technologically powerful people in the universe? Anyway, yeah, that's my thoughts on that. Um, JC, no? No. <laughs> no, nothing. nothing. All right. Um, let's move on to Act 2. So Shuri and Okoye go to meet Ever Ross, um, who gives them the name and the location of young scientists despite possibly giving away private information. Okoye and Shuri then go to Cambridge, Massachusetts to find Riri Williams, who is the person that invented this machine. They follow her to her garage where she reveals that she is working on an Iron Man-type armor. However, they are followed by the FBI. The three... Three people get away, Akoya in a car, Shuri in a motorcycle, and Williams in her armor, her kind of Mark I armor, I suppose, is what you're probably um, supposed to get from that. Suddenly, they are met by Talokanalis. <laughs> Talokanalis. Goddamn. We'll get there. We'll get fish, there. Fish people. Yeah. He's, uh, <laughs> they get away, and they're met by fish people, Atuma and Namora, two of the coolest characters from the Talokan. They look awesome. A brief skirmish ends in Shiri and Williams getting captured. Ross arrives at the scene the next day and meets with his ex-wife, Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. I actually didn't even know that that was... No, no, that's that just came out of nowhere. Did that it's... just come out of nowhere? Yeah. Because like, yeah. that wasn't established in uh, Falcon Winter Soldier. That wasn't actually established in... What was Everett Ross and... Uh, yeah, sorry, Black Panther. No. Oh, yeah, yeah. Black sorry. Panther. And, yeah, it's so weird. I was like, how is... How... What? I mean, it's it's that kind was, of insignificant, yeah. I suppose. Like, it doesn't matter, whatever. But it just seems kind of strange to just pop that in there, right? But is that going to tie into Thunderbolts? That's well, they're the clearly question. doing a forced, like, setup for the Thunderbolts. <laughs> it's it's yeah. way too forced. Like, this whole thing with uh, Valentina and Everett Ross and, and um, who else? Riri Williams, perhaps. I, I'm pretty sure Riri Williams is going to be a part of this whole um conspiracy around like um thunderbolts or whatever she's going to be tied up in that story some somewhere or another maybe she she gets captured she becomes ransom something like that i don't know but yeah it's just it's so forced like okay sure you're gonna do thunderbolts and it's gonna end like phase five okay we get it (laughs) it's like uh you don't need to be in this movie yeah (laughs) Um, do you know about the the whole story? Do you know much about Thunderbolts? Who they are, Tony? I've got no idea what you're talking about. Okay, so Thunderbolts <laughs> is basically like a evil evil set 
uh, evil team that is uh, hired by the government to take down the likes of uh, the good heroes, such as like, um, well, yeah, Avengers. But I guess in this case, I'm I'm assuming they're going to change the story of Thunderbolts mm. instead of going after the Avengers because they won't be able to go after the Avengers because they're way too powerful. <laughs> Like at least in the MCU, right? The the Avengers that we know in the MCU are way too powerful. Um, I reckon their story is going to be about trying to take down the likes of uh, maybe She Hulk, um, Kate Bishop, the the Class B people, yeah, like the street level heroes, you know, um, Young Avengers, Young Avengers, uh, like you know, that's like Kate Bishop, Riri Williams, um, even take down uh, Daredevil, you know, like all Mm. these kind of uh, street level heroes but yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and and that's what the thunderbolts are they're basically kind of yeah that oh, and, and everett ross is part of it he's he's <laughs> gonna be in the thunderbolts movie i don't know what his participation is gonna be in that but um i don't think he's gonna be one of the thunderbolts though <laughs> he's because yep, yeah. he, the thunderbolts are like they have they either have like martial arts skills or they have like um help me up on this I just well, you gotta look at like you, someone like the likes of Yelena. Sorry to cut you off, but I'm just like, Yelena, do you really yeah. think she's gonna jump into that bandwagon, or could it be something similar to Suicide Squad, where they have another task to deal with that is mm. more threatening to them? Because yeah. it doesn't make sense that they're gonna go after um, another group of heroes. Bring although we would like it. <laughs> it doesn't make sense that they're gonna go after another group of heroes. <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but you know, know. you know, you know. Um, but it makes it feel like there may be another threat at that point in time in the phase. So maybe sure. that will come forth. Maybe mm-hmm. it hasn't been announced yet, but just an option. Yeah. Because you got, yeah. you got Zemo, you've got Elena, uh, US Agent. Who else am I missing? Uh, I don't know. Did, I, uh, did, Baron I Z- did you say Zemo? Did you Zemo? say Zemo? Yeah, yeah. 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 So Zemo, you know Zemo right, uh, Tony? Is he the guy from he, Civil War? He's from Civil War, yeah. God, you know, I only guessed that. <laughs> JC, uh, listen, uh, JC's doing the dance that Zemo does in, in uh, Falcon Winter Soldier. It's so oh, he's in that. He's in that. He's actually one of the main characters oh. of that show. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. He's he died. No. Did he die? No. No, no, no. He got away. He got away, yeah. Yeah. Remember, oh. remember he was about to he was about to commit suicide, but T'Challa stopped him from committing suicide in yes. Civil War. I thought he got shot in the stomach or something. Uh, no, he, he goes to shoot himself. Um, and then T'Challa puts his hand in front of him because he's got a vibranium on his hands. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, uh, lost my train of thought. Oh, okay. So I want to talk about this um, skirmish, like this skirmish on the bridge where Shiri and, Will, uh, Shiri and Riri, they both get kind of knocked out. Um and, and then it's up to Okoye to protect all of them while they're knocked out and protect, protect them with her only piece of weapon that she's really good at, which is the spear. Um, mm. So this fight scene between her and Atuma, gosh, the best fight scene in the mm. entire movie. I loved it. Yeah. Loved it. I loved how the, the score went silent and it was all about the... I don't know what sound effects I'm making there, but you, you know what I mean. <laughs> you know, lots of slices, lots of like clanging and stuff, and lots of grunts from the characters. It was awesome. So much good energy, and you could feel the tension. And Akoya, you could actually feel for the first time that Akoya was like threatened. You know, she you could see it mm. in her eyes. She was kind of like, "Oh shit, uh, this guy's." But she's powerful. in danger. She's here. in danger because she's like her and the Dora Milaje have never been in danger. They're just 
too good. <laughs> and then yeah, even yeah. the first one, when like they're f- she's fighting like her husband or whatever, like you never feel like she's in danger. She's like sort of going through the motions. And that's kind yeah. of what I hate about a lot of um, Marvel action sequences, where I feel like none of these people are in danger. Yeah, everyone and this is film actually. Safe. Yeah, at the end of the film, when they have the boat fight scene, I kind of feel that as well. But in this particular one, I really felt like she could have died. Oh, yeah. And I was like, that's cool. I was was actually half expecting her to, like, get stabbed and Mm. potentially die, perhaps. I I would have hated if if they did kill the character at that point because she's way too underdeveloped to be killed at that point. Um, But, yeah, that's, that's the whole point of that scene is that the threat felt real the stakes felt real and the fight feels real and i was like yeah this fight seems so good and i was actually hoping that that was going to be the rest of the fight scenes throughout the movie but it wasn't it wasn't no <laughs> it was good though yeah <laughs> jc no i think this is this is one of my favorite points of the movie um just the whole fight it was just it was nicely done like you said the sound design was done well um it was short it wasn't it wasn't you know, like a John Wick scene, so or yeah. a Matrix scene. It was so the it was right done well. amount of, uh, yeah, it was the right length. Yes, for sure. And I, lo- I, I loved how like um, they all show up as well on humpback whales. I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is so cool! That the humpback whale kind of flies up and they all jump off. It's like, wow, this is sick. This like yeah. shits on Aquaman. No offense, Aquaman, <laughs> but it just shits on it. Like it's like the Atlantis and Aquaman. It's cool. I love the world that James Wan builds. Mm. Um, I love how also like Zack Snyder's version of it as well. Even though it doesn't explore Atlantis because that wasn't his job, he just wanted to introduce some characters from Atlantis. And I love his version as well. Mm. And James Wan's version is cool. I love it. But man, I just this is actually my favorite by far. By far, the way Telecon is, the way these characters are, the the tribal and cultural, uh, historic, you know, that, that kind of like um, historic memoirs, you know, walking around um, with all their kind of um, robes or whatever. I don't even know what they're called. Yeah, jewelry and robes. Um, but they just look awesome. I love the whole humpback stuff because it's also, it's kind of nice that they're not like super fast swimmers, you know, it, they're just kind of like normal swimmers, right? <laughs> the only... Yeah, the only fast swimmer is uh, Namor because <laughs> he's a mutant. Um, mm. He's like, yeah, confirmed. he's like a superpower. Yeah, he's a confirmed mutant and he's like a superpowered dude. Uh, where mm. everyone else is just they're just human beings that can live underwater. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So that was pretty cool. Uh, anything else on the scene before we move on? No, that's about it. Yeah, great. Mm. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I'll take the silences. Let's move on. Well, I'm just thinking I'm the, the, the parts here. Well, in the, I guess in the whole movie, where it just it does drag, and I don't know if this is your experience or my experience only, but mm-hmm. I felt like sometimes the dialogue was drowned out by some of the music, and I don't know. Sometimes I actually had trouble hearing some of the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Did you guys oh. have the same experience? Oh no. See, I always have that, but I feel like it's my issue. Like, okay. I watch subtitles and everything. <laughs> like, I was really, like, trying to listen to them, like, is this intentionally washed out, or is it my hearing? And uh, oh, I don't know if that's, yeah. That's interesting. I, I, no, I never got that. I don't think I remember any scenes or dialogue sequences that were drowned up by the music. Um, if anything, I actually felt the music was quite tame. And there, there were some moments where the music was underwhelming, because mm. it just didn't feel right for like for, for instance the final battle and we'll talk more about the final yeah. battle once we get to that the final battle just kind of felt empty like it felt kind of 
formulaic and a little bit boring and a little bit unfocused. But yeah, the, the, the score wasn't actually very powerful in the final battle sequence. I'm not talking mm. about the fight between Shiri and uh, Namora, but I'm just talking about the the massive you know fight between the Wakandans and the Talakan people. Mm. All right, so well, actually, wait. Sorry, I probably want. Yeah, I've got like I, I realize now's probably a good time to mention. So I've got this thought, right? And I want to sort of be convinced otherwise by you both. It's another one of my oh, this doesn't make sense for the character type of points, mm. and like you know these are not really that well thought out. Okay, so I feel like. At this point, Shuri has been established as someone who wants to see the world burn. She's, like, not particularly happy. She's, like, you know, depressed about the fact that she couldn't save her brother. Um, And the thing that kind of confuses me is that she goes through so much pain and effort to save this one person in Riri Williams. Um, And, like, you know, the entire movie just goes away if she just says, yep, let's kill this girl and be done with it, right? Mm. Um, And, like... this characterization of her so far does not strike me as someone who would be so heroic and put everyone at risk for the sake of this person she's never met. Mm. Because, like, Black Panther 1 version of Shuri, I think, yeah, but the Black Panther 2 version is jaded. The Mm. Black Panther 2 version is, Mm. um, like, yeah, I I just, I just, I'm surprised that she goes through essentially the entire film Mm. to save this person. And that, that kind of, I didn't, didn't make sense for me. That was it. Okay, cool. Sorry, what did you say? I wasn't listening. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I, okay, I, I can definitely chime in on this unless you want to jump in first, JC. No, no, go, go ahead. Um, so I 100% agree with you. The mm. change in her character makes zero sense for her to have some kind of uh, care and curiosity about this this uh, random person who seems to be like you know a super genius or maybe a reflection of her. Um, um, when when she was growing up at the same kind of age, um, perhaps that could be a justifiable reason for her to reach out to Riri Williams because she's like sixteen. No, well, she's not sixteen years old. What is she like? Eighteen or nineteen years old? Or 18, whatever. Yeah, she's in uni. I guess. Yeah, she's in uni. Um, so maybe she's she wants to connect with Riri Williams because she sees a little bit of herself in that. But that mm. doesn't really justify why she would even do that when she's going through this heck of a roller coaster of emotions yeah. and and transformation. So it doesn't actually make any sense at all. And and this is this is tying back into how inconsistent the film is with these subplots and these side characters that didn't need to be in the film. Mm. And so they had to work with the character Riri Williams to a, to the degree of having her in the film and what is her involvement. So okay, let's get Shuri to 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 connect the dots with Riri Williams um, and also the kind of conduit plot of um, the vibranium being detected by the MIT uh, protege um, Riri Williams, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of convoluted. It's conflated. It's rushed. doesn't make any Mm. sense. It's like, Mm. all right, let's just get Shuri to do it. Let's get Shuri and Nakoya to do it. And, but, but what I would say to that effect is like, they cut, I don't want to say they make up for it, but at least at least it did kind of add some gravitas and tension to uh, Shiri missing um, in certain parts of the film, right? Um, and that mm-hmm. that that depth and and stakes or gravitas uh, eventually unfolds to Shiri getting kidnapped, you know, because Ramonda says to Okoye, she says specifically, "Do not take my daughter." 
But then Okoya is like adamant that I can protect her. I'm the Dora Milaje. She has every reason. She has, you know, every optimistic reason to say all that. And yeah, of course she's going to protect Shuri. But of course that doesn't happen. She comes mm-hmm. across across a threat she, that she could never anticipate. Um, and then so because of that journey to MIT, it therefore creates this uh, other kind of subplot for the character Ramonda to eventually die in the film, which I was like shocked. I was like, what's that good mm. to another death in this film? Mm. What? <laughs> and that and was I'm, the I'm, one well done to. It, was, it was really well done, but I was kind of bittersweet about it because I'm kind of like. Anyway, we should talk about that when we get to Ramonda's destiny. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Do, do you have anything to add? No, I was just going to say, like, based off the title, like, I do feel, and maybe you agree or disagree, that there were some parallels with Ragnarok, just in the sense that when you see the name Wakanda forever, I'm like, okay, well, Wakanda's going to get destroyed at some point. Sure, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I kind of feel like I kind of feel like there's some parallels with Ragnarok there and just having mm. have to, Wakanda has to rebuild itself. Mm. And no, yeah, we'll get to the Ramonda death scene later. But yes, yeah, let's go. Yeah, we'll we'll get to the Ramonda death scene. Um, okay, so they return to Wakanda, but only for only for more torment as Namor and his people invade. Did I just skip a whole bunch? Probably yeah, you're probably yeah. up to <laughs> sorry. Ross <laughs> finding the Kamoya right. beads. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Um, he also finds Kamoya beads and hides them in Wakanda. Ramonda reprimands uh, Koye for losing Sherry and fires her from her position as general. Oh, this is a devastating part. That um, scene. That yeah. scene is a very powerful scene. It's also probably one of my favorite scenes of the movie. Mm. Super powerful between just, just uh, the whole scene itself. It's kind of broken down into two parts almost. One part is um, how Ramonda deals with Okoye. And then the second part is how she addresses the council and her frustration and the hurdles that she has to climb the challenges that she's, she faces currently and also in the future that she sees, it's heavy. And I think the way the scene is, is directed, choreographed, and all the rising emotions, it's, it's mm. so good. It is so, so good. Anyway, some, someone take over. <laughs> no, the rage, the ra- like Angela Bassett's acting range was really displayed there, and that was just the, the facial expressions, the tone of voice, and, and everything was just... Yeah, like everything that she she went through, like everything that she had lost, and um, yeah, now that she's lost Shuri, of course, at this point she didn't know that Shuri went by her own means. But still, mm-hmm. like as a as a parent, you'd be like, you know, I've lost my son, and you know, now I lost my daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so just you know, think about that from a, a parental parental perspective. It's it's very strong and very uh, hard to hear. So yeah. as we can understand, her acting range has really shown. Um, with grace and well, maybe not grace is not the right word, but we just with uh, ex- exquisitiveness. No, that's not even a word. But that's a word. Called, yeah, that, that's it, a word. exquisitiveness. There, no, we go. it's not. I just no, yeah, not, I'm just no. giving you. Would, you, would, you would say that <laughs> anyway. Yeah, Tony. Nah, I, I said too much. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Well, let, let me just like type this up because because I think the scene is so pivotal. It's such a pivotal part for the plot. Um, where our characters end up going in this part of the film because now Shuri's in a completely different world. She's completely disarmed from what she's used to. She's completely unsafe. She doesn't have her technology. She doesn't have her, um, her, her Wakanda people to support her, doesn't have a Koye. You know, she's like completely disarmed. But what I love about her being in this position, she's 
she's opening up her vulnerability because mm. throughout the movie up until now, she hasn't. She's being quite close. She's being quite recluse. Fair enough. She's lost her brother and her brother was like her number one fan, right? Like she, she was she, like both her and, and T'Challa, they were just like classic brother and sister, so much love for each other. And it was really well expressed in the first film. And then this time we start off with her being angst and very upset and super depressed, super stressed, doesn't want to talk to him, wants to burn the world, literally. That was her words <laughs> with, mm. with her mom. And then she gets stripped of all of that. And she gets put into an very incredibly uncomfortable environment where she doesn't know anything and, and starts to kind of bring her back to what Shuri was, or at least reminds us. And also she reminds herself of like the values that she stood up for um, in the first film, which was all about like kind of hope and mm. trying to um, do something for their, for her own people. But now she's wanting to do that for the telecom people as opposed to Wakanda. So now like she's kind of getting into that whole uh, leadership and trying to protect other people that need protection because she's always ever done it for Wakanda. Mm. So, yeah, I love I love the fact that she gets put into a different part of her character arc, and then we cut back to you know, come back to that whole scene with Ramonda, like her, yeah, like you're right, JC. Her performance is just insane. You couldn't get a, a better performance out of any character or any mm. actor that could even jump into that role. That's just an insane. Um, amount of acting. It's like so much acting. <laughs> and uh, and Okoye, mm. she was just awesome. The way she kind of just falls apart, you know, mm. she cries her eyes out and she's just devastated. She's basically lost her life, right? She mm. dedicated her entire life to serving the Dora Milaje and Wakanda and she got stripped of that in a second. But mm. then she, she doesn't, she doesn't actually argue with it out of one respect, but two, she realizes how much she messed up. Um, oh, and maybe three. We'll check on the third one. There is that um, she's getting a full blown um, emotional expression from the queen that she's probably mm. never ever seen before. So, yeah. Anyway, I love that scene. Mm. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, I always lose where I am. Eh? Uh, <laughs> Sherry and Williams. Oh, here we go. Um, Shuri and Williams wake up in Talakan. Namor shows Shuri the civilization, trying to convince her of his ideals, even giving his mother's bracelet. However, she disagrees in killing Williams. Meanwhile, Ramonda goes to Haiti to see Nakia. This is the first time we meet Nakia, um, the Peter mm. Nalo, uh, who had left Wakanda six years prior. <laughs> just, just real quick. I always I always get kind of pulled out of MCU films at this point of MCU culture. We're in phase four. We're like thousands of content or thousands and thousands of hours of content later, right? Mm. And every time they they start to stipulate like timelines and like, you know, it's like 10 years later and it's like five years later. I'm always kind of – it takes me out of it because I'm kind of like, are you sure you're six – like six years prior? Like what was, what was six years prior? Because this is a weird – because that means he just died right after he came back from the snap, well, right? That, yeah, exactly. Away. That's exactly what I'm thinking. I'm like, okay, so he just died as soon as he got brought back. You know, when he comes out of the portal, we're sort of led to believe that the next day after the portal entrance and the fight, he's dead. 
Mm. <laughs> I mean, maybe yeah. not the next day, but I don't know. Well, definitely within. Oh, no, it makes days. sense because like, <laughs> this is a year later when he died, mm. and the snap happened. He was gone for five years. That adds <laughs> up perfectly. Yeah, it just it's it's so it's so like fine tuningly perfect that I'm kind of like, what. Uh, it's mm. it's it's a nitpick, but you know what I mean. It's just it takes me out because I'm like you guys, like you know, I'm I'm an MCU fan, so I'm I pay attention to timelines. I pay attention to like like when certain events happen, and a lot of these kind of like minor frustrations and nitpicks always um they always rise up when I'm watching like you know Disney Plus series and when I'm watching like other movies. I'm always kind of thinking about well, if this is such a crisis, like why don't you just ask like Carol Danvers to help you? Like what the hell's a big deal? Like, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Anyway, anyway, anyway I'm just going to rant. Too busy on other planets. <laughs> too busy on other planets. Uh, but then there's freaking Bruce Banner. He's on earth too. So it's like, what the hell? Um, okay. So um, I lost where I was again. <laughs> You're up here. I'm up here. Okay. Uh, uh, six years prior. Yeah. Uh, she asks Nakia to find Shuri for her. Nakia does some spying and figures out the location. She then breaks Williams and Shuri out as Ramonda talks to Namor about his plan as a little bit of a distraction, which was kind of neat. They return to Wakanda, but only not only for torment as Namor and his people invade. They flood the city, causing an all-out war. Namor takes care of all the Wakandan vehicles before flooding the throne room, holding Ramonda and Williams. Williams starts drowning, so Ramonda swims to save her. She is able to get Williams to safety, but only to drown in the process. Shuri moans her mother's passing as Namor tells her she is queen now. Yeah, Quick thoughts on that, these? That's brutal. Um, well, I've kind of covered like quite a lot in just this. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you did, yeah, yeah, you covered like a whole battle. Like, um, yeah, well, uh, happy for you guys to like talk a little bit about the um, like because this is the first. <clears throat> ah, losing my voice. This is the first time uh, we get an introduction to the whole world of Telecom. We go down into the beautiful underworld of fish people. Um, everything looks awesome. I can talk for a long time about Telecon because I, I really love this part of the film. It's it's mm. one of my favorite parts of the film, how we explore Telecon, um, how we get to see the people and everyone's kind of swimming around. And anyway, I can talk a lot about that. Somebody, somebody chime in. <laughs> uh, no, I was just going to like, Oh, there you go. Jane. Oh, you go. You go now. I was going to say this the whole time. You go, you go. No, uh, I was yeah. just going to add just really quickly. Like it, it's interesting that like, you know, I did notice that Nakia was not, around at the start of the film and then they they mm. brought her in in that particular uh light um but it's interesting to see through Ramonda's desperation to get Shuri back that Nakia doesn't know about all the other events that are happening at the time so for her mm. to go and break uh Williams and, and Shuri out then obviously causes the the impending war between the Talokanils and the Wakandans um yeah it was kind you of said like that really well Sorry, I, had to, yeah. I looked at it a few times. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I can nail it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, like I, I was, I expected a death in the second act. I just wasn't sure who. And I think, you know, I was, like you said before, expecting a Koye. But then it makes sense for Ramonda to die at some point. Um, but I just didn't know how. And it's just interesting that Namor's uh, motive there was to make Shuri the queen. You know, like mm. this is... This revenge but also like now you're you've got the power to make the choices not your mother mm. so it really puts the onus on shuri who's just lost her brother and now her mother 
to then have to make decisions for the future of her people. Mm. So, um, Tony, did you want to add on to that? Yeah, I just want like, oh man, this is like 35 minutes that you've just gone through in like a very small paragraph. <laughs> but uh, you've all covered the positive things. I think like Talakan is cool. Um, the thing that I was kind of like, I guess a little bit, I'm not sure annoyed about, but like I questioned, like with Nakia, again, coming from the last movie, Nakia is with T'Challa and he's like, you're going to lead our outreach program. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to be the one to help Wakanda save the world. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like that, that didn't happen. And then she's just off in Haiti doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And they don't really explain why she's um, just gone. And the thing that's kind of pissing me off, like I can jump ahead with spoiler rights, right? Yeah. So... She's just gone. And then the queen says, oh, hey, I need you to do me a favor. And she's like, yep, all right, cool. I'm just going to drop everything I'm doing here and help you, which is weird because why would she not just be helping? You know what I mean? I had a feeling you were going to bring this up because I I, I I think I kind of know how you analyze movies now. And... um, What's uh, that character? Yeah. When I was thinking about this scene, I was like, oh, I think Tony's going to say something about this. And I'm right. I am right. But, like, I don't understand why she would just drop everything and do that because she's clearly left on her own. But then, secondly, later, Shuri questions Dude, Didn't you know she's she's also half, like, Haitian? No, I'm kidding. Yeah, but still, she just <laughs> randomly leaves. No, but, like, okay, and then later, right, Shuri questions Nakia, and Nakia's like, oh, you know, T'Challa, he was my world. When he left, mm. I couldn't handle it. Mm. Oh, I had to get away, right? And then, in the end credit scene... Mm. Oh, spoilers. Can I, just, can I talk kidding, about that? Yeah, like, We've already spoiled the whole yeah, movie. At the end credit scene, she's got a kid. It's T'Challa's kid. And she's like, T'Challa asked me not to come back because he thought it was better if the kid didn't deal with the throne room. And I'm like, so what the fuck, Nakia? Like, what are you, <laughs> why are you giving us all these random ass plots that don't make sense for the same thing? That pissed me off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I yeah. Just to say, you know, don't show this until the end. <laughs> you know, like... I, I, I kind of wish they didn't give me the red herring reason. Like, just, just leave it completely unanswered. And then right at the end, give the real reason. I'll be like, oh, cool, that makes sense. But mm. she just sort of she lies to Shuri. It, it didn't make sense. But then she, the yeah, she, that, I mean, she also okay. lies to the audience. Um, you know, because we meet her in Haiti. She's, like, seemingly just, I don't know, like, a teacher at the school or whatever it is. Because um, it's it's all secret. It's all, like, smoke and mirrors to us as, as the audience. But we know that Ramonda, mm-hmm. like, we actually don't know until the end, but Ramonda knows why she's there. <laughs> yeah, but we don't. We don't, we as audience members right. don't know that. Like, yeah. so she's met him, right? Like, yeah, she's she's, she's met she's met the son. Okay, so but here's the crazy thing. Okay, we we're gonna jump ahead now because because <laughs> we're talking about this uh, this Haiti scene. Oh no, actually, we're, yeah, we're talking about this the scene that we're on, which is uh, seeing Nakoi, uh, Nakia. So um, after seeing it for a second time, do you remember the kids that come up? There's three kids that come up to Ramonda. Because Ramon is like, where's blah, blah, blah. Oh, you were watching for this. I wasn't okay. watching for this. I noticed. The kid on the right side is the son. Oh. Yeah. So they... You they have been watching for it the second time around, right? No, sure. no. I just, I just looked. I was like, oh, that's the, that's, that's the son. <laughs> that's oh, Prince man. T'Challa, son of King T'Challa. Mm. I was like, oh, that's neat. That, so that they, line they actually, me off, by the way. Oh, really? <laughs> what? That line was yeah. so good. I hated that line. Right, I'm muting you. Because, <laughs> like, I'm not sure if we can talk about it. We'll talk about it now. Uh, I'll complain about it now. So then, like, at the end of the film, right, she brings a kid and she's like, This is your auntie. And I'm like, Okay, cool. Obviously, it's T'Challa's son because mm. Shuri 
his sister is his auntie, mm-hmm. right? And then it's like, I want to tell you my name. Oh, my name is King T'Challa, Prince T'Challa, son of King T'Challa. Come on, like, why do they have to feed us like that? It's No, but, but I, I, don't, I don't think Shiri was anticipating him because before that, the mom, Nakia, she says, we're, you know, she, she builds up the scene by saying that we came here to live a, a different life. We came here to live a secret life and completely like she kind of implies that we're not going to be Wakandan anymore in a way. Mm-hmm. Like that's what she's mm-hmm. saying. And, and so that's why it makes sense for Shuri to be surprised because Shuri's like, okay, you've got a new life. He's not going to be a Wakandan prince or live up to be the king or anything. It's fine. And when, she, when she says his name, his name is, what's his name? Can't remember his name. No, Toussaint. 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 Which is like a French name or something, isn't it? Yeah, French. Yeah, yeah, French Haitian name. Um, He's like, yeah, and she's like, all right. She's at that point, she's accepted the fact that they're not Wakandan, not under royalty, and Mm -hmm. but then it's cool when he says, "Um, "I heard you're good at keeping secrets," and Mm. then she's like, "Yeah, I am." He's like, "Okay." let me tell you my real, I, I don't know how he says it, but he says, basically, yeah, let me like, tell you my real. And then, and then she says, who are you in, in Wakandan? And then he says, I'm Prince Charles. I thought that was like really neat. Cause I oh, understand the lead up to it. I understand like the, you know, the indifference here. And it's, I thought it was kind of cool. You're, you're giving it more of a storyline reason for it to happen that way. Which <laughs> I think I'm accepting, but like, I just hated the fact that like the fact that she is your aunt is enough. Um, I yeah, like but she doesn't. Say, she wasn't. She wasn't like sort of assuming that he was going to take the throne because because that's that the implication by the end of that is that he's going to become King T'Challa. Yes, that's the implication, and she wasn't anticipating yeah. that. She she was just kind of like, okay, you're living as a Haitian person now. Because then that's the thing. Like, if she if Shuri dies, who's going to take over? So now that yeah. there's there's an heir to the throne. Hey, but also, it was never well, confirmed. Her boyfriend. also it wasn't confirmed that she's taking the mantle as queen she hasn't gone through the ceremony she hasn't actually done anything to get that i thought no she did the ceremony everyone chose not to fight right but then mbaku went to the warrior no but that wasn't that for for black panther you know that whole i thought that whole scene is to to get the black panther mantle isn't that that what they do in the first film oh yeah you're right because that's when killmonger challenges challenges him Oh, sorry, Mbaku challenges for the Black Panther mantle, doesn't he? Yes. I thought you challenge for kingship, and by virtue of being king, you get the Black Panther mantle. Like, I thought they were just sort of one and the same. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, maybe that's it too then. I mean, you would know because you actually saw it more recent than we did. Um, I mean, they don't, they don't say it. It's just kind of... Because they always refer to it as the throne. Yeah, so, okay, okay. So you get the throne and then... The warrior falls are a set of waterfalls where the ruler of Wakanda and the heir to the Black Panther receives the coronation. Okay. Yeah. So maybe it's like two of the same. Of the same. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, so, but, but she doesn't go through any of that. So then, so then you would assume that she's not queen and she's not Black Panther. <laughs> so she doesn't do any of it. So she, had the, she took the heart shaped herb, right? So that's. So it's only because she got the heart shaped herb from freaking uh, Namor's mum's jewelry. Mm. <laughs> also, I, I mean, I'm going to mention. It's just like crazy. Point. It's like it's like it's so intertwined with uh, the Talakan like heritage. Like she managed, like the saving grace for all of this to get the Black Panther costume was costume <laughs> to get the Black Panther <laughs> <laughs> mantle. <laughs> well, that's a costume. 
you know, hate me. Um, to get Black Panther back was to actually use the Vibranium technology from I the actually That's crazy. didn't like that plot. Yeah. Um, and I'll explain. I mean, I'm just going to talk about it now. I'm, we're going all over the place, but so I apologize. <laughs> um, so this is something that I've thought of, and I want to sort of check it with you guys to see, like, does it make sense? I feel like it would have been significantly better. So right now, she uses the bracelet to recreate the heart-shaped herb's DNA mm-hmm. and, you know, create the heart-shaped herb. She drinks it. She becomes um, Black Panther. Wouldn't it be better, right? I'm just going to propose different storylines now. If she becomes um, Blade by drinking that. <laughs> that would be cool as well. No, no, but, like... I feel like the reason why they felt the need to explain the whole origin of the Talakan um, society was in order to say, oh, hey, we have a heart-shaped herb too. <laughs> I see right? where you're going. <laughs> so they could have cut that whole thing because they needed to do that in order for the wrist to make sense, in order for taking the stuff out of the wrist to make sense. Yeah. I, I feel like if Riri Williams was the person who cracked the code on how to recreate the heart-shaped herb, like she just used her young, smart brainness. Um, it's, it's MIT. She figures it out. Yeah. What's that, sorry? It's, it's, it's MIT. It's what it is. Yeah, yeah the, the MIT ability to recreate the heart shape. Like, she says, oh, why don't you try this? You know, do like a little, um, I forget his name now, the guy from Rings of Power. Anyway, like, if she was the one to figure it out, right, then it would do a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. One, Riri Williams has a purpose mm-hmm. and saving her mattered. Mm-hmm. And she actually has purpose in this film because she cracks the whole thing. Two, it makes um, Shuri's guilt about not saving um, T'Challa much more powerful. Mm -hmm. Because she has so much guilt, but knowing that the thing standing in her way was that she didn't have a product that she just couldn't possibly have had Mm. is like, uh, you're kind of wrong, Shuri. But to know that the answer was there, she just couldn't find it, Mm -hmm. I think makes it much more powerful for her to feel guilty about not being able to save her brother. Mm. And three, you don't have to explain Talikin's origin stories if you're not using them as a plot device later in the film, mm-hmm. and you save like 20, 25 minutes. Yeah. I love that. This is my view right I now. I love that. That's really good. Mm. Um, yeah, no, you're right. I actually agree with all that. That's 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 very impressive. That's that's actually also surprising from you, too. No, <laughs> I know, right? I never say smart stuff. Like, no, that's, yeah, I mean, it's, coming it's, out it's of a good point. Yeah. I thought that straight away. I was like, why wouldn't they just have done this? Yeah. It makes so much sense in my head. But it's it's also because yeah. you're like piecing together why these characters don't actually work too. So you kind of work your way back. It's like, well, why doesn't, why, why am I frustrated at the fact that Riri Williams is even in the film? And then you work your way back from it. And you're like, okay, well, I guess she could have had this participation, like the example that you gave. And it gives her a way more meaningful purpose to be in it because it serves Sherry's character, serves her character, mm. gives her credence you know, and justification. Um, but yeah, all, all the other characters kind of didn't make sense to be there. This whole movie could have been 20 minutes shorter, 20, 25 minutes shorter. And it would have been a solid 40. 40. Yeah, 40. it would have been great. Two the thing is, like, <laughs> now that I know that Riri Williams is Ironheart, like, in my head, it's more and more apparent that this is just a vehicle for her. Oh, of course. There's no reason for her to be in there other than the fact that, hey, we, we're going to set her up for Ironheart. It's like, well, I don't even know why... Kevin Feige or, you know, the Marvel heads are even just like making these kind of choices to say, Hey, we're going to introduce her here. It's like, I think a character like that just deserves a better introduction. Like yeah, how about, how about introduce her in her TV series? <laughs> like, like the pilot episode. Yeah. Okay. But when you, when you introduce Spider-Man in civil war, you know what I mean? Like 
that sets up the if future, you, right? Oh, that was actually yeah. cool. Yeah, Spider Man being but I think that's seems because we, we but, all okay. know who Spider Man is. The origin of Spider Man isn't novel. Fair, sure, fair. sure, okay. Sure. But also, but also, they, I'll, I'll say this is probably a very un- unpopular opinion for Savoir. Spider Man doesn't need to be in that movie. I no, I agree. He doesn't. He was cool to be in it, but he didn't actually take up too much screen time. He took up like five minutes. Um, we're talking about Riri Williams, who's really integrated in the entire plot. Like Spider Man was was introduced, he was he was kind of taken in, spat out, and that was it. Like you know, it was really quick. It didn't affect the narrative. It didn't affect the runtime, in my opinion. And I'm pretty sure for everyone else's opinion. The problem with Riri is like she's in it from the beginning. I don't think she's utilized that much, but I think maybe they're doing this to go. Oh, I like that character. I want to see more of them. Like we obviously know who Spider Man is, mm. so yeah. you know. Oh, I want to see more Spider Man. So now they're going, what... yeah, I want to see more of Ironheart now, and it kind of gives you that insight into the character. And I think having a, a young black female in the MCU is now another strong thing to introduce because they've got um monica rambo already established mm. so now you've got and you've got miss marvel on the other end who's a little bit younger mm. so you've got that like kind of post high school age and how old's kate bishop i don't know like, uni ish yeah, age right yeah, she's, yeah. she gets kicked out of uni yeah oh, so is it high school uh, whatever. i think it's high school actually high school yeah yeah, yeah. so now you have like this younger demographic that can kind of sit together and you know you've got um different ethnicities if you want to call it that um in the mcu so like and you kind of have her a little bit of sass in her attitude which is kind of cool to bring out as a character it mm. wasn't you know i understand like the, the the pain points that you guys are talking about like yeah she wasn't really utilized that much but then it also sets up like oh this is like you know she's like at stark level yeah i mm. think um who says it okay or Shari, shuri's like are you making stark level tech and she's like no mm. um mm. Anyway. yeah but, but the <laughs> Oh yeah, go. Sorry the, the 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 problem is 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 because she's around in the film. Like she's mm. when when you think about the the point that she gets introduced and to the point that we we see her exit in the film, it's a big chunk of the film. And so they attempt to actually get her to do a bunch of stuff to give us this idea that she's talented at building things. She's talented at planning things. She's obviously got a smart brain. She's doing a lot of stuff. But it's completely undercooked because you're like, dude, it took like Iron Man a whole movie to build a suit. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, and she built it. She built the suit like in in Wakanda within like five minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's like a it's like matter of days, Max, right? In, in the, in the I, Not even days. I mean, like, you know, remember when, when Riri finally gets let's say inducted into the science room with, with, mm. with, with um, Shiri? Um, they sure instructs one of the scientists like show Riri where her work, working spaces. She goes up there, she does her thing. A couple of like montage clips of her like kind of putting together, and it's like she's got this super high tech like Ben Ten type costume. Because <laughs> how like, long has Shuri been working on that blue thing for Okoye? Right, like uh, a long, long enough time, time. years or something. And then she kind of comes up with this like crazy thing. It's just it's way too undercooked. It's like if you if you're trying to get me and the rest of the audience to believe that she's this super intelligent techie person, I think we already got that from the fact that she built a freaking. Um, vibranium detector that no one could ever do <laughs> you know what i mean like that's that's mm. more than enough to say that she 
she's legit. She is going to be the next kind of like high tech Shuri slash Iron Man, whatever it is. You don't need to show me that she can freaking build. A, uh, it's not even Mark One. It's like Mark Thirty something. You know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. ten minutes. It, that just makes no sense. It's completely undercooked, and I think it just diminishes the um, the kind of gravity and the depth of the character of what it could be. You know, it's kind of yeah, it's just undercut. So yeah, that that's kind of the problem when you have characters just lingering in the plot. It's like you don't need to be lingering in the plot. Just come in and get out. <laughs> it's like you're, mm. you're you're not the main focus of the film. So yeah, there you go. See, I would have liked her to be in the film more. To be honest, like I I think I I agree with your point, but I wanted the solution to be the opposite solution. Yeah, well, the solution could be that, but then we end up with a movie that's like three and a half hours long. Mm. If, if if you want to do it correctly, right? If you want to yeah. do these characters correctly, it's, the problem is like this. There's way too many characters in this film. Like, what would have benefited um, way more and would have been a better payoff would be focusing on our key characters. That's Okoye, Shiri, mm. Ramonda, and um, it's basically them three. Mm. <laughs> but th- those are our key characters. And why are they our key characters? Because they were part of the first film. Okoye has been in almost like four Marvel, in, uh, Marvel films now. So we know a lot about her backstory. And I love the fact that we just take her down and we just we basically put her to her knees and she's completely vulnerable i would have loved for her character to be fleshed out way more but then we kind of get to that point and then we don't actually see akoya until the end (laughs) Mm. i'm like oh what (laughs) and Mm. then we kind of spend meaningless time with like everett ross and (laughs) riri williams characters that don't mean anything to the story Mm. yeah yeah, I agree with that. Like, I prefer either, like, she's introduced and used well, or not introduced at all. Like, she yeah. didn't need to be there. I get that. Yeah. All right. Um, I have no idea where we are in Act 2. We just talked about... Well, right? yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll pass this part. Shuri, uh, we'll pass this part here. here. Are we here? We're here. Okay. Meanwhile, Lady yeah. Fonte finds out that Ross has been communicating with Wakanda this whole time and has him arrested. And Baku then tells her he will provide housing uh, for displaced Wakandans following a, following the attack. Shuri then uses Namor's mother's bracelet to create the artificial heart herb, um, which finally works. She goes to the ancestral plane after taking it and is greeted by Eric Killmonger. Dun, dun, dun. Big surprise. Um, who claims his uh, name, right? Like, Eric Killmonger. Killmonger was a nickname, I thought. Uh, I think this is, no, like, his whole name. Like, hmm? Yeah, I think that's his whole name. I can't remember Injaka. his, like, Injaka. Yeah, that's his, like, Injaka. Wakanda name, but his name in the United States is, like, Eric Killmonger. I, thought, I didn't know it was his surname. I thought it was, like, a, a code name. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe it is. Not important. <laughs> who claims uh, they are the same they argue a bit before Shuri claims she is going to kill Namor out of revenge Shuri wakes up and makes herself a suit she then drops into a meeting between Mbaku and the Outers as the new Black Panther so I have two questions mm-hmm. the first is where did you know how they went to this snowy place to re- reposition the Wakandans yep. did they ever say where that was no, th- I mean that's just um that's just the Jabari, the Jabari, Jabari oh, tribe. Okay. That's where they live. Because um, remember, they went up there in the first film because they went to seek alliance with the Jabari people. That's right. Okay, mm. thank you for the yeah. clarification. And two, who saw Killmonger coming? I didn't. No. Oh, yeah, I, I didn't. That was a big surprise. Yeah, but I actually, like I wasn't. I wasn't oh, like yeah. oh. 
I was just kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Why. I was impressed by <laughs> that. I was like, like, Michael, oh, I'm like, yeah, okay. That makes Michael sense. B. Jordan's a hard guy to get. I reckon that he's was an eye demand man. Look at him. Look at him. Yeah. Creed. Yeah. yeah. Creed Seven. Creed Seven. Creed Seven. <laughs> what to mention, Mbaku to me in this film, he's actually like your spirit he's animal. He's done very, very well. I love him. Like he, <laughs> he, he's got the comedy. He's got the action chops. Mm. Like he's, he's good. at the funeral. He's got this this whole soft thing. I think I didn't really like the fact that his character is kind of reduced to like um, mm. kind of like a lap. Not lapdog. He's really kind of like a background character in this movie. Mm. No, but like in the first film, he's like the only tribe that stays off to the side. They're the ones doing their own thing. Mm. They're the ones who have that like the integrity and I'm not not the integrity, but like they stand in when it's right. But they're actually not part of the tribe. I think that was a really cool dynamic. Whereas in this mm. one, he's very firmly deep yep. within Shuri's like group or whatever. Yeah, because doesn't he mention he- something about making a promise to his brother? Yeah, he does. Like, I think he does like do a lot of emotional grounding, and it makes sense in the position that he's in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but yeah, overall, I thought he was like fantastic he's in all cool. his scenes. Yeah, he was great in the scenes. He was really good in the first one. He's good in this. He plays a much lesser role in this movie, um, and he almost kind of suffers with the same issue that the uh, our other side characters that we just criticized. He mm. almost suffers with the same kind of issues. Like he doesn't actually have anything to do other than being like brute <laughs> and yeah. muscle for Wakanda, you know, like, whereas the first one he has he's strong. Yeah. You so when he gets hit, it's like, Oh, it's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, he didn't have real kind of grounding purpose, which is kind of unfortunate. Cause I think he's a cool character. And I think he's like, when you think about Wakanda, you think about, um, Mbaku, you know, he's, he's very much yeah. a part of this world as much as all the other Wakandans, but mm. he just didn't have anything to do. Neither did his uh, Jabari people. They didn't need to be in here. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that I think is, I mean, maybe it's a good thing, maybe it's a bad thing. I'll explain it and you can sort of, I don't know, say I'm stupid. But Shuri's character arc in this film so far, like, I kind of thought that it was going to be around her being coming more spiritual. It's not about that. Um, I then thought it was going to be about her becoming, like, I guess, more vulnerable. But then, like, at the start of the film, she's, like, depressed and hates the world. Then she goes to see Talakan, and, like, she kind of opens up a bit. Mm. And then now she's, like, super vengeful to the point of, like, not listening to anyone, doing something that are objectively pretty poor decisions, to be honest. It's a lot of, like, um, hot and cold type character building in... And from, from a storyline perspective, it kind of makes sense until the actual last fight scene, which I absolutely hated. Well, I'll, I'll just explain it. The fact that she completely switches off from her vengeful thing because she sees her mom. Like, that pissed me off a lot. But um, I'm, I'm kind of the same with that. We, we should touch up on that on, um, when okay, we get to A3. Right. But, like, like, I do have a very similar perspective on that whole scene. Mm. Um yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, because because we can, you know, how we we do this. Like, oh, like, I always do this. We we go on tangents and like, no, I do the same as well. It's like we just we just have a lot to share. That's all. <laughs> um, okay, so she 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 pretty much breaks up the meeting. She's like, hey, yo, I'm here, bitches, Black Panther. Um, first thing I'll say, don't like the costume. I think the yeah. design kind of sucks. <laughs> Mm. Oh really? Yeah, it's like her arms look way too long, dude. It's like she looks like oh. she looks like a freaking antler or something. I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, uh, I know it's visual effects, but like, couldn't they just like shorten her arms a little bit? Like, her arms look way longer than her body, dude. 
she's like doing the yeah, flip like this. She's kind of doing a swan dive, like misty 360 or whatever. And then I'm like, well, those arms are like so long. And then when she lands, I'm like, ah, like the suit. Uh, I'm not a fan of the design. I mean, she she looks long limbed when you see her wear like the singlets and stuff like that. But you're true, right, it did look true. it did look even longer in the in the. Black yeah, suit. and maybe it's just because like the Black Panther suit's tight, and it just it just accentuates like her limbs a bit more. But it just looks I don't know, it looked kind of odd. But I think it's also just the design of the costume. Just it didn't work for me. Didn't like the design. Mm. Like you know, my favorite Black Panther design is still Civil War. Like whoever did mm. the costume design on Civil War for Black Panther, because it's the first time we see Black Panther. That costume is sick. Mm. I love that costume, and I wanted to see more of it. And then I get it, whatever. They do an upgrade, they change. It doesn't mind me too much with um, how his costume ends up being in the first Black Panther film. I think once he gets to Infinity War, I think the suit just kind of the suit just kind of got worse for me in terms of design. <laughs> like Infinity War is kind of like, uh, mm. and then Endgame was like, uh. <laughs> Like, it should be the same suit, surely, right? Like it, yeah, true. It would be such a weird Wait. thing if it's not. Oh, maybe they messed up there because I'm pretty sure it's a different suit. I think maybe they might have. Got, like, I think they might have messed wardrobe up wardrobe. Wardrobe issues. The, uh, yeah, no, like the, the continuity department clearly didn't um, send the meeting notes to <laughs> the wardrobe <laughs> department. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I, I mean, I could be wrong, but yeah, I'm pretty sure the costume is different in game. Uh, anyway. Um, do you guys have anything to say about the costume, or was it just me? No, no, I agree with you. I wasn't a huge fan of it, but then you obviously they weren't going to replicate Chadwick's. Um, no, they don't need to. I'm sure they can come up with better designs. Like, surely, mm. I mean, these these are people that get paid millions of dollars and they're experts. Well, <laughs> okay, if we're talking about costumes, the Ironheart second mark, or what if you want to call it? Mark oh, it's two, terrible. I hate it. That that looked like freaking. Agents. What? The Midnight Angels, the Okoye. Oh, terrible. Horrible. Oh, my God. Horrible. Like, he came up with that design. When you compare it to the rest of the costumes in the cast, like what they're wearing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But those look, you know, traditional and and really nice. But when you add this, it looks really cheesy and tacky. It just Mm. looks really out of place. So. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, her, yeah, her her costume just looks. Awful, like it, it looked like that like- Ben Ten. You know that Ben Ten yes. animated. It looked like that. Yes. <laughs> I'm gonna say that. had like a. I was just like, I feel like they try and justify. Sorry, the the Midnight Angels, but like saying, oh, the 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 mum thinks it looks bad, and like I think that's a cheap way to try and justify how bad it looks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of shit. All right, sorry, Dizzy. I think I spoke over you though. What were you saying? What? Tracy, I thought you were saying oh. something when I spoke. Yeah, it wasn't as important as we would say. <laughs> oh. All right, he knows, he knows. All right, <laughs> all right. Let's move on to Act Three, the last act. We'll we'll speed this up a bit because we're we're going on quite a long, quite quite a long time right now. If you've made it this far into the podcast, we thank you. If you haven't, nah, Jason's the only one that thanks you. You're just yeah. the sucker that stayed. it's exciting it's entertaining um okay so in preparation of the battle shiri and williams realize that they could weaken namor by heating his body up to where it cannot get oxygen they then make a second iron heart armor 
uh, Shiri gives Okoye and Yama, acting much like Iron Man's as well, called the Midnight Angels. Okoye recruits Sanika to be a part of her two-woman team. In the ocean, they use a vessel to lure the telekinels. Telekinels. There we go. Telekinels. I got it. I got it. Into a trap. The battle commences as Namor seems to gain the upper hand. However, Black Panther traps him in a royal talon fighter as they take off away from the battle. All right. So real quickly, um, (laughs) why recruit? Anika to be part of the two-woman team when her right-hand or right, I don't know, right-hand person was is always being what's her name? Okay. Can't think of her name. No, no, Akoya no, is the one I'm talking about. But her, yeah, I don't, her I don't soldier, Anika's. Oh, Ayo, Ayo. It's always been Ayo. Ayo. Like I don't yeah. understand why Anika gets to be the chosen one. It's like Ayo is the chosen one. Like she, Ayo's always been there. It always being like the right hand soldier. So I don't know why Anika exists in this film. <laughs> to be honest, okay, let me tell you. Let, let me tell you <laughs> the reason why she she exists because they need another character and also to have some kind of like LGBTQ representation as well. Yes, because Anika is in the comics. Anika and Ao are partners. Partners, yes. And then at the at the very I don't know if you noticed Tony at the very yes. end of the film. Yeah. She says, "Oh, thanks." What, what does she say? Like, thanks, uh, my love, like, my love, my old love. darling, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but like, you've got the other side of that relationship established already. Just use her. Uh, yeah, but that's my point. I'm like, why? Yeah. Why use Anika? Like, Ayo's been there since like freaking Black Panther and, and Infinity mm. War and Civil War. Like, she was in Civil War, dude. <laughs> like, mm. like it's, it doesn't make any sense. Like, why? I guess it's because they wanted to like have a lesbian represent, but then that doesn't make sense because Ayo is also lesbian. It's like, what the hell did you say? The one who was there is also lesbian. Like, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> it made zero sense, and I'm like, okay, whatever, just like, just, just go with it. Just like, kind of like mindless and kind of careless decisions around this kind of stuff because they're wanting to have like equal representation, and it's like, but then you, you, you just. You kind of have the representation anyway. Yeah, I know, so I know. Like, you kind of hang yeah. yourself on your own noose there. It's like, well, dude, you're just doubling down on the same thing. But mm. anyway, so that, that was my thing on that. Um, so it's like another, like, seven minutes you'd save without a man and <laughs> I feel like. I know, I know. Because they had to do the whole kind of, like, hey, Annika. The, the like, dagger thing, yeah, the dagger and then thingy, yeah. giving the dagger back, yeah. and then, no, keep the dagger if you're going to need them. Like, these scenes don't need to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it simply just could have been her and amongst, like, all the other um, Dora Milaje soldiers, you know, because none of them have lines. They're all just, like, they're fighting with the Dora Milaje. Mm. But Anika gets, like... But, yeah, the, the daggers don't even matter. Like, you, you take the daggers out of the film and all the references to those daggers, and sure, you don't save that much time, but it's not like at the end of the film, like, the daggers are so much better than a spear, and she goes, ha, 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 Koye, daggers are better than spears. Yeah. Like, that never happens. It just seems like a weird, like, comedic levity to add to the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so the battle commences as, uh, yeah, yeah, I got that. Um, Ironheart and the Midnight Angels take care of the airborne telekineals. Uh Black Panther heats up the Royal Talon Fighter, weakening Namor, but he begins to break out his spear. Black Panther shoots a blast from her vibranium gauntlets, which explodes the whole ship, sending the two adversaries into an island below. 
The two fight some more until Namor impales Shiri. However, instead of finishing her off, he is more worried about getting to the water before he dies because he needs water for oxygen. An injured uh, Black Panther breaks free and gets in front of the limping Namor. She then yells, Wakanda forever! <laughs> I mean, kind of like that. <laughs> Wakanda forever! As she armors up, sending a blast from the exploding Talon fighter into Namor, he is set ablaze as he collapses. She stands over him to finish him off, but remembers her brother T'Challa and all the other moments with her mom as well. <laughs> um, okay, so this scene is obviously like intertwined and edited with the big kind of mm-hmm. CGI battle that's happening on the ship and all that kind of stuff. Um, JC, I'll start with you. <laughs> What did you like about this like ending sequence with um, the big s- classic Marvel comic book standoff with uh, major battles and blah, 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 and lots of CGI, and then also jumping back to the island fight? I enjoyed the editing aspect as it jumped around. I didn't love the fights. I just felt like it was a little bit lackluster in comparison to previous fights in the MCU. Um but, like, I think we, as MCU fans, are very spoiled at the moment. Talking to a lot of people about everything post-Endgame has just been trash in terms of action and, and whatnot. And, you know, you could probably argue and say maybe Shang-Chi has probably the best fight scenes since Endgame. Um, so, like, it was okay. It wasn't great. But I didn't mind the jumping around from scene to scene to keep the tension high. Um, obviously we knew it was going to come to a head eventually, but we didn't know what the outcome was going to be. So actually when I thought, sorry, when we saw, uh, Shuri getting stabbed by the spear, I was like, oh, okay, that took a turn. So I'm like, where is it going to go from here? Um, I wasn't sure if she was going to end up killing Namor. I'm like, uh, is she going to be vengeful queen or, you know, or, uh, peaceful queen and you know it would be interesting to see like a vengeful queen then you know we have the multiverse address like a peaceful queen come out later but mm. you know i don't know you're thinking about variants know. already hey yeah okay. well i mean we, we can't forget that that's been set up right so it's mm. there but whether they explore that later on we won't know mm. um so yeah. maybe this there may be a variant that has actually killed namor and you know you have an evil black panther um damn I would have loved that, to yeah. be honest. Like, I, I think it's in line with her character. Um, I mean, I think River, you kind of alluded to this when I sort of hinted at it before. I felt like she's she's done like she's murdered a lot of Wakandans to get to this point, right? Mm. <laughs> and then at the end, she just like sort of looks up, sees her mum, and is like, "Ah, I shouldn't." Like, there's no T'Challa at all. I don't think there's, mm. there's no T'Challa in this scene. It's just purely seeing her mum, and I'm like, "Did you need to see your mum talk to you ancestrally to know?" That she would not be, she's not keen on this, because like mm. she's not keen on a lot of stuff. But yeah, yeah, I, I didn't yeah, like, the, like I didn't like the fact that she just went from like vengeful Shuri to um, merciful Shuri with just like this very very small thing. I would have loved if she was actually vengeful, and the Talakan people disappear and they're like not a thing anymore. Mm. And then maybe in the next film, it's all about her journey to redeeming herself. Mm. Mm. Yeah, okay. So I'm kind of the same. The fight between her and um, Namor, it's a cool fight. I, I do appreciate some of the slow mo stuff. It kind of reminded me a little bit of um, 
uh what's that movie district nine have you guys seen district nine before? oh yeah that's a great film yeah you know the slow-mo stuff with the with the robots getting like shot on mid-air it kind of reminded me of that you know like where um sherry's kind of flipping and stuff and trying to like kick mm. or punch uh, namor in the back or something it kind of reminded me of that very similar cinematography but i thought the fight was okay i i still wanted the fight to be a bit more extravagant the same way that mm. Koye and uh, Atuma had their fight, their brawl, mm. like that hand to hand stuff. And that um, spear mm. to spear stuff was freaking awesome. And I was kind of hoping that to happen. Um, and of course, like Shuri using her claws a bit more, like she, she gets her claws up, but she just uses it like once. <laughs> Mm. You know, one thing I don't like about Black Panther fight scenes, and this is like true of the first one and the second one, is that mm. for some reason, and this could be just be me, I feel like Black Panther, he they always look rubbery. Yeah. Like they don't look like people. Mm. It's because it's a lot of CGI. Uh, like, uh, especially in that yeah. lot, in the first film, the final battle between him and uh, Killmonger, it's just. It looks so cheap and fake. Like, you know, yeah. all the colors like oversaturated. They're kind of flying through this like space thing or whatever it was. And it just looked kind of cheap and does look rubber. Even in this one, when, when Shuri is like sort of like doing her acrobatics on the boat, clearing out a lot of the fish people, mm. like she just kind of looks like a rubber person. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like it's, doing a lot of the flips and stuff on the side of the. Uh, yeah, ship, yeah. It's it looks it looks pretty cheap. It does look kind of fake. It looks very choreographed. It doesn't actually look gritty and real. And it, it almost mm. seems like they had two different action directors <laughs> or two different choreographers, like fight choreographers. You know, it's like one guy was like real good with martial arts, and he he kind of directed the bridge scene, and then you get mm. I don't know someone else said. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah. CG stuff, yeah. and so they get another guy in. Yeah, like, CG guy. <laughs> it just looked kind of cheap. Like at least you know, if you're gonna do that whole sequence, like you'd probably want to do something similar to I don't know how the grounded fight sequences are in Winter Soldier. You know where you can still use wires and all that kind of stuff, and that'll be fine. But just I don't know, have more and more people like get stabbed and um. And get hit, or so I don't know. Like the Dora Milaje and the Wakandas just look super, like completely superior compared to um, the Telecon. Um, and yeah, it was just it was just way too choreographed, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, so coming back to Shuri and her moment with um, with uh, Namor, where she's standing on top and she's before she says yield, she goes through that same kind of montage memory <laughs> bank type thing uh, i'm pretty sure t'challa done something similar maybe not in black panther but he done something similar in civil war he didn't go through like a memory bank thing but he had a moment where you know he's standing in front of um uh baron zemo and he's having that whole sort of um contemplation moment because he's about to actually kill baron zemo but then he has a pretty quick turn of events and says you know vengeance has consumed me he says uh, Shuri says the exact same lines that uh, Tritala says in Civil War. Vengeance has consumed me, and mm. I will not let it consume you. Like, he says that to Zemo. Like our people or something, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Our people? And then he says it to Zemo by oh, saying... It's a throwback. It's a throwback, yeah. And he says it to Zemo, and then as a way for Zemo to not kill himself. But he ends up trying to kill himself, but then he saves him. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's the same kind of scene, but the problem is the same problem that I have um, with you, Tony, is that... 
her character development kind of goes in like peaks and valleys a bit and it kind of doesn't make any sense it's a little bit inconsistent um it's it's, it's definitely kind of like sociopathic vibes you know like how do you go from like being super 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 emotional and depressed to being like very helpful to the telecom people and and, and then helpful to re-re it doesn't actually make any sense there's no consistency there and then when you get to this part it's kind of like all right she's she's kind of come back to what she was at the beginning of the film where she's angst and she's angry she's ready for revenge but then she her character development just kind of falls off a cliff and just says um vengeance has consumed my people and <laughs> it's consumed me and i will not let it consume me or something like that and then she says yield uh it, it doesn't make any sense it's it's so yeah. rushed it's just because yeah. To Mbaku, she's like, I'm gonna kill him. And then yeah. to Killmonger, mm. she's like, I'm gonna kill him. Mm. And then she's like, just like, on this train. And then him, at the yeah. end, it's like, mm. oh, I guess I don't want to. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. I just felt like she was very sure of it for a while. It's sociopathic there. vibes, I'm telling you. Were <laughs> <laughs> um, we gonna say something, Jesse? No, I was just trying to think, just. Yeah, just trying to think. Uh, I was trying to work out who the fight choreographer is. I found the, the choreographer for the first movie, but I haven't found for the second one. Oh, maybe so. it is a whole thing. Maybe it was the first guy. I mean, the first movie, and then they they fired him and got somebody else to do the final pad. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway, uh, while you search for that, I'm just going to jump onto this part here. Black Panther heats up. Yes, this is what kind of forever. Um, but remembers her brother T'Challa um, with these memories of a man he he was she <laughs> she decides to spare I mean, him kind of just want this one right here from Williams returns to MIT uh where no uh from the fourth line from the bottom oh, oh. The MIT. No, I'm, I'm up to this part right. here uh Namor says gratitude you know she she gets him to yield right um Namor has uh, gratitude for the Black Panther and joins as they return to the f- uh, to fight scene and tell everyone to stop fighting. Black Panther then yells Wakanda forever once again as the rest repeat it back. In the aftermath, yeah. Williams returns to MIT without her armor as the Wakandans do not want any controversy with letting her keep it. Shuri leaves for Haiti instead of challenging for the throne, which ultimately is challenged by M'Baku. Mm. Later, Namor paints in his room because he starts painting <laughs> as a tuba greets him. <laughs> no, <laughs> sorry. sorry. Uh, Namor assures her that their new alliance with Wakanda will be beneficial. On his way to prison, Okoye breaks Ross out of custody. Um, that's pretty much the end of the film. Like there is the stinger part that I want to get to in a second, but, um, that's, uh, I kind of finished that third act like kind of bluntly, but it's kind of like the story is kind of a blunt ending in a way because Mm. the fight scene, they, they end in a pretty unsatisfying way. In my opinion, I don't feel like the fight scenes were kind of, the way it ends, I don't think it's earned. It's kind of like they have this fight. Um, Sherry kind of wins because gets him to yield and then goes back to the kind of monotonous, boring fight scene that's happening on the on the boat and says, all right, that's it. We're, we're going to call it quits, which is kind of a bit of a throwback to how they do the ceremonial stuff with um, people becoming Black Panther, you know, in Wakanda. It's like eventually you get the person to yield and then you all come together, I guess. Um I guess it's a little bit of that, but it just, it just kind of, I, I felt flat and unsatisfied with that whole 
ending. Mm. Um, and the only thing that is satisfying to me is really the stinger, you know, the, cause the whole ending mm. is kind of like they, all right, they finish this and then they, like Shuri goes to Haiti. The Wakandan people are kind of like going back to farming and fishing. <laughs> Uh, the Atlanteans, oh, sorry, we can't say Atlanteans, the fish people, <laughs> they go back to their fish world. Presumably, we don't actually see them retreat, but yeah, obviously, we just presume that they've gone back to that. Um, I did like the dialogue scene between um, uh, Neymar and uh, Atuma. Yeah, oh, I do. Like, I, uh, yeah, yeah, I do. I do like the dialogue scene because. She's questioning him now. She's she's doubting mm. him. She, she she says like, I've I've always wanted to fight alongside you for many many years, and you decided to give up against the Wakandans. And then um, there's there's this like haze of doubt, and and it's it, it seems like a character that is clearly going to be developed in some shape or form. Maybe she ends up turning on on Namor, maybe in like Namor's own film if if they decide to have his own film. So that's kind of cool, but then the rest of it's kind of like okay, we go here and then we go here and and then we come back to Wakanda for a little bit, a little bit of montage stuff. People are like planting plants and <laughs> uh, yeah, and then and then it just that's the way it ends. I'm kind of like oh, all right, okay, cool. But then the stinger kind of ties it up a little bit better for me, even though I know you didn't, you weren't satisfied by that, Tony. <laughs> I like the stinger. I just didn't like that dialogue because I felt like they were trying to treat us like the idiots that's all i thought <laughs> fair enough fair enough okay so why don't i just um explain the the stinger sequence here and then we can um tie it up so in haiti shiri meets with nakia before leaving bef- uh, leaving for the beach where she mourns t'challa one last time nakia then approaches with her secret son that only ramonda and t'challa knew about she explains that it is t'challa's son the boy introduces himself and Toussaint, before Shiri, it is what before before telling Shiri, what? it is the Haitian name for Tatala. Um, and that is the end of the singer. This is actually probably the longest singer that the MCU's ever had as well. It's got the most dialogue. It's got the most. Uh, I think it's like an emotionally sort of powerful singer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And this is what the effect is supposed to have. I know we kind of skipped over from the ending into the stinger, but we do have that Chadwick uh trooper oh, right Yeah, we so, really Yeah, the last yeah, the the very last shot of the film is when she's on the beach and she's mourning her brother. Mm. She's this is like her letting go ceremony, you know, she burns the the garments and stuff. And then it's a bit of a montage again with uh Chadwick Boseman. Oh yeah, and I forgot I thought that was just all in the stinger, but no, it's not, no, is it? No. Like the stinger it's pretty much uh, takes off from that scene. Um, yeah, so yeah, that that's a really nice way to to end the film. It's it's pretty emotional. Um, it's quite nice, and then and then the credits come up, and then this thing happens. But yeah, um, that's the end of the recap. <laughs> it's a very long recap. <laughs> very very long recap. Um, uh, I feel like I've spoken a lot because I, I was gonna like sort of start as like what's my conclusion here for the film, my overall uh, ranking for this. But maybe I'll get Tony. Tony, you start. What is your what is your conclusion to the film? Like wrap it up in a nice meat package with a little bit of bow that has your out of ten rating. Okay. Um... 
I can give points, like like sure. point. Yeah, I, I, whatever I, makes I, you feel comfortable. I feel like it's going to be harsh, but I'm giving it like a six point five. Oh, you're going you're and, straight to the, the out of ten. Straight to the point. You got straight. To oh the yeah, point. you want me to? Nah, I mean we've taken so long. Yeah. I've, I've I've shared so much views. I don't think I need to sort of give a conclusion, mm. but um, like. I love the fact that it's a tribute to like Chadwick Boseman, T'Challa. I, I think it does a really good job at that. And every scene where they attempt to do that, they do a really good job with it. Um, but I just felt like there were so many sort of plot things that didn't really make sense to me, character motivations that didn't make sense to me. Um, they had so many characters that didn't add any value. Everett Ross um, and Anika. I thought, yeah, just a lot of things that this kind of... It was a very bloated film. It's sort of my thought. Yes, yes, sir. Six point five out of ten. Wow, I didn't think you were going to go that low. I know, like it's I, I, maybe I should give it a seven or something. Hey, I, I do don't, like. Don't don't let me go trip <laughs> you into a seven. Come on now. I know, I know. I just I just think that this because the thing is, there's so many things that I think they could have done better, and that makes it worse mm. in my mind. Like knowing what I think would have been better. Um, it was kind of disappointing because when I watched Black Panther 1 again, I was just very into that sort of meta commentary that it was trying mm. to do. Mm. I really found that that sort of part of the plot really powerful. And, you know, it's the only sort of um, part of the MCU that actually attempts to do that kind of stuff. Yep. So for Black Panther 2 to just go straight to, uh, here's a made-up race and we're going to fight them for some reason, I, I kind of wanted Black Panther 2 to be more settled on the real world dealing with problems that we as a people are dealing with mm. yeah Jason. Mm. Uh, i'm just going to add in something before we get to my recap so there are actually two fight choreographers one is Whoa. micah Carnes, who's known for black panther uh, and he did deadpool 2 has also done uh the man from toronto mandalorian and a few other video games like star wars Jedi i'm gonna guess Order. he's the one that that choreographed the bridge scene uh, the other person is Aaron Tony, who's also done um, Falcon Winter Soldier, Altered Carbon, uh, Infinity War. So they both have experience in the MCU. Hmm. So I just don't know who did. It doesn't say who did what. It just said that they hmm. both were five choreographers. Oh, so go on pretty good observational stuff. skills from me, isn't it? It is. It is, it is <laughs> interesting to know that you have some fight scenes that are good and then some that are, you know, a little bit different. Yeah. Um, okay, so coming out of the film, I, like I was saying earlier, I felt like the third act really picked up in comparison to the first two acts. So first two were really dragged out long. I, I actually was going to fall asleep at some points. Like I said, I don't know if it was my experience. The audio was a little bit washed out. I was like, I don't understand what's happening. I'm actually physically going... What are they saying? And it wasn't an accent thing. I was just like, I can't understand little little tidbits. And I don't know if this was for you. I know in the ending during Stinger, like there was a little bit of uh, camera focus was inten- maybe intentionally out of focus, but it was kind of bothering me. It's tr- kind of oh, reflection. Actually, thing. I forgot to say that in our recap. The thing I hated the most was like this stylistic blur stuff that was happening. Okay. So I hated just me. No, yeah, okay. it was like, there's too many of them. It was like, uh, yeah, and, and especially in the end, like it's completely blurred out. The characters, uh, it's, that's not working for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so these are, uh, amongst the other things that we spoke about, I feel like these also pulled the movie down. Uh, but like Tony said, it did feel very bloated. Could they have cut it shorter? Yes. 
maybe like I think we said it could have been 40 minutes or I would probably say like maybe 20 minutes um they could have just compressed a lot more it was a bit of fun it was a bit of like character development um I originally thought okay it's not I think I gave strain something like a six or six point five from memory you'd have to go back and listen to the podcast and I was thinking no it is I came out of Black Panther 2 feeling much better than that and I was like, should I give it a seven? And I thought, oh, no, no, I'm going to go up a little bit higher. I think it deserves more than that. It's definitely not an eight. But after, like, conversing with you guys, it's come down a little bit. So I'd probably put it around a 7.5. Just for that, it is, It is a. I think it was a one of the better MCU Phase 4 films. Nothing is going to beat Spider-Man No Way Home. No one can argue that. Um, but I'll leave it at that. Nice. Over to you, Riffle. Nice. Um. Yeah, this movie has highs of highs, lows of lows, but the lows are like super, super low. We're talking about volcanic, like magma low. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's in the earth. Yeah, that's really just in the form of uh, the unnecessary subplots, the unnecessary side characters. Um, it lacks so much narrative focus. And mm. that's where the movie becomes incredibly weak. It's just like the narrative focus is it's it's so critical because it's it's balancing out an incredibly hard task and that is it's it's emotionally drown like drenching drenching yeah it's emotionally drenched the whole plot like it's it's mm. it's drenched in this kind of um, meta emotional feeling which is in some ways I want to say it's like emotional sabotage because <laughs> mm. well you know what I mean it's like it's a real life situation and they're doing mm. the exact same thing in the film. You couldn't get any more meta than that. Like mm. <laughs> that's, that's taking oh, wow. a new definition of meta. Like <laughs> who, who, what film do you know has, has ever done that other than biopics, right? Like, like biopics is, is a depiction of someone's life. <laughs> this is, mm. this is taking a real li- a real man's life who, who was lost due to like, cancer and illness and you're doing the exact same thing to his character that he played it's like it's kind of morbid and almost kind of feels messed up (laughs) but uh, like i'm giving them the benefit of the doubt and that is the fact that like what else were they supposed to do and when i think about this more i sort of think well i guess there was two options one you recast which is going to be difficult you recast two you maybe it wasn't the right time to release a second back Black Panther movie, right? Maybe mm. you wait for another like five years or so. And I've heard a bunch of YouTubers talk about this and they say, no, nah, I don't think they could have waited like five years or so to make another Black Panther movie. But then my question is, why wouldn't they be able to wait five years to make another Black What What's the rush to make another Black Panther movie? Other than the fact that you have a Black Panther character who's been well-established in the MCU um, and you're just wanting to just rush uh not rush but you know just put out another film just simply because he's been around an infinity saga and he needs to be a key player in the multiverse saga sure okay Mm. but i mean your marvel you have full control over everything you can do whatever you want clearly like Mm. maybe maybe option two is a viable option just delay the film and not put this enormous pressure on ryan coogler to change the script (laughs) and and bring this kind of meta-ness to the film that is emotionally draining feels like emotional manipulation. <laughs> it's like you kind of have to cry and mourn for it because the, the real dude 
died in the mm. exact same way. So anyway, um, I'm going to rant, but uh, yeah, it's it's the highest of highs and lowest of lows. And uh, the most exciting part for me is really just uh, watching our key characters go through um, a journey that is it somewhat pays off. There's a little bit of satisfaction that comes with uh, their journey, although not fully developed and a little bit undercooked. Um, Telecon is awesome. I love that whole world. The unfortunate part of that is that it's not fully fleshed out. So, like, we we go in, we we kind of go into like half an hour of, of the uh, National Geographic episode of Telecon, but then we kind of leave it. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's, it's it's cool to explore, but it's like it's it's hard if you're going to have a villain that's from Telecon. Maybe you don't show us Telecon at all. You know, maybe you mm-hmm. just leave that whole story for his own film. Because now that we get introduced to the movie, uh, introduced into the world, now I'm thinking, oh, I want to see how the society works, right? I want to see mm. how, like, how they make food. I want to see how they eat together. I want to see, like, I want to see what are they, are, are they all working together? Are they all, is, is there, like, um, like, is the whole thing egalitarian or is the whole thing, like, mm-hmm. uh, is there, like, a democratic economic system here? Like, how does this whole world work, right? That's well, wait, you, you will find out. Wait for Phase 5, Avatar 2, The Way of Water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not rushing to see that one. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it's like we, we have this big attempt to go into Telecon and it's beautiful. Like, I love like how real the whole thing looks. But then it's, like I said, it's like a half an hour into like a two-hour episode of National Geographic of Telecon. Mm. <laughs> and then that's about it. So anyway, yeah. Um, so I think I'm actually going to give it a seven out of ten. It, like when I first watched it, I was like, "Oh, this is an eight out of 10. <laughs> mm. But then I thought more about it after. And is it man, fair to judge it on the second viewing? Because like, not a lot of things are going to hold up well to a second. No, I, I actually dropped my rating after thinking about it before I saw it a second time. Ah, okay. Yeah, so like it started like my first impression after. I was like, "Oh, wow, that was actually really enjoyable." Um, even though the, the issues I had with the movie were quite vivid in my mind after the, in the first viewing, but I, I just enjoyed my time. I, I had an entertaining time and it was fun, <clears throat> but then like, I thought about it more like 24 hours later, 48 hours later, I was like, yeah, I don't know if it's an eight anymore. So I, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to happily give it a seven out of 10. It's kind of good. Yeah. It balances us all out. 6. 5, 7, 7. 5. <laughs> it works. Definitely not a Definitely not a All right. Oh, well, we've gone on too long, man. We're, we're reaching an all-time... No, not an all-time high. Um, I'm sure we've been... We've been longer. We're reaching the length of the movie. The, the length of the film. Yeah, exactly. The longest we've yeah. ever done a podcast was actually Spider-Man No Way Home. Or it might have been... That was worried. Actually, that was it might have been the Marvel uh, Phase 4 and 5 talk. Or yeah, yeah. Something, yeah, yeah. recap that would have that was really long. Um, man, uh, we should just wrap it up though. Eh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. We'll wrap it I up. I feel bad for anyone still listening. Oh, uh, no, no, no. it's been good, man. It's been so good to have you guys on the podcast. <laughs> hey, cool, thanks, sir. It's Thank always you. fun to be it? here. Yeah, that was a long pause between. <laughs> so I was waiting, I was like, oh, Is he still there? I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to keep talking. No, no, no. It's been a pleasure to have you guys on the podcast. Appreciate you guys being here. It's been a while. Actually, you guys have met for the first time, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Oh, nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs>
actually hours and 40 minutes of talking together. I know. I know. Yeah. Got lots to cover. Best friends now. Best friends now. Forever. So um, like- I'm going to place all the uh, social media handles for both Tony and JC um, in the show notes. So make sure you give them a follow. They do some cool things on their Instagram. They're very creative people. Uh, Tony just posts all about his food obsessions because he loves food um you know give him a like you know show show him some support with all the uh, overcooked barbecue meats he's doing (laughs) yeah they're all bad to be honest don't don't like him show show (laughs) show some affirmation and uh jason's a bit of a dancer and entrepreneur so you can if you're into dancing you can go check out his pages um i'll have them all in the show notes and uh if it's your first time here give us a follow give us a comment send me some dms um and uh let us know what you want us to talk about for two hours and 39 minutes <laughs> the next big uh, movie not too sure yet probably the guardians of the galaxy is for the next big movie isn't that this month that is uh december i think it's it I, I actually i actually can't remember Please hold. <laughs> End of November. It's a Christmas special. It should be December, surely, right? Uh, Hang you on. know. Hang on. Kind of like the department stores, they release Christmas presents or I mean Christmas gifting two months prior to Christmas. Friday, November 25th. Oh, oh there you go. Those bastards. Those bastards. <laughs> um, yeah, and there'll be more movies that we're reviewing, recapping uh, throughout um between now and the end of the year so stay tuned um we will announce more of those later but hope you guys enjoyed that very very long recap and i hope you enjoyed black panther as well you know let us know if uh, there were anything that you disagreed with and you want to sort of create a little bit of a dialogue online happy to do that tony loves to create dialogue online no probably not no, I don't. I'm just throwing you, <laughs> throwing you under the bus. Would no, you know what? I will for you. Thanks, man. Just chime in in the comments. Um, and we will see everybody back on Legit Cool Podcast. Bye, everybody. Bye, JC. Bye, Tony. See you. Bye.